We'll leave a meal for the fair folk if we want their blessings. And don't skimp neither. The cream from the milk, the softest crumb you've got at hand. There's favour on one side of the coin and wrath on the other. Ballybogs, no doubt, they can be reasoned with. Leprechauns, oh, they're a different story altogether. Help you with your troubles one day, and bite your eyes out the next. It's true. One night, the kind that chills you to your inner bones. I was walking to the lighthouse to bring my father some pigeon stew and bread, and that's when I heard it. Boom! Boom! Like a hammer. Who goes there, I ask? No answer. I think about turning back, then my curiosity gets the better of me. So I go towards it. Only the closer I get, the farther away it goes. Finally, I turned around. And I'd wandered so far into the moors that I can't find my way back. Three hours, I wandered in the dark, and not a thing familiar. But then I remembered what me gran told me about the leprechaun. So I swallow my hunger, and I take my bread, and I put it down on a mossy stone. And I lay down to sleep beside it. And then you'll never believe it. When I woke up, the bread was gone. And there was the lighthouse, the one I'd been looking for. It was only a spit away. So you see, the fairy folk may be small. Don't let that fool you. They can make real trouble unminded. Hey everybody, what's up? I need to come up with a better way to start the show. That's kind of becoming really generic. But, I've been um, doing it for six years. Uh, actually, we're getting close to seven now, I think. We, cr we cranked this off in uh, 2011, I believe, was the first one, mm. is when we got started. So we're going on the seven-year mark at this point. But um, tonight we have Joshua Cutchin returning to the show to talk about fae and fairy folklore. And he just got back from a trip to Ireland, and he's in the process of about ready to release a new book. Um, or something along those lines. I'm not really sure. But when he came out with the Brimstone Deceit, we never had him on the show. And I think it was primarily because he was just pretty much hitting up every other podcast that was out there for the most part. And I was like, well, I'll just wait till it all dies down. And then we just never got back around to get in touch with him again. Plus, he's busy. He also runs um, the other half of Where Did the Road Go? He's Soraya's co-host for the most part. Um so he was always busy, and we we're always busy, and we we're never able to tie things up because this was supposed to happen, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? How many times is this supposed to have happened by now? Uh, yes. I don't know. It's been a few times. So um, he did get us copies of the Brimstone Deceit, which I'm going to be perfectly honest, I really haven't read that much of. I think you've probably read more of it than I have. <laughs> did you read the whole thing? No? No? Not the whole thing, no. <laughs> so and then this came along, and... Um, both me and you are very much into fairy folklore. I think uh, I think I know a lot more about the Irish folklore than you do, whereas you're more like along the lines of the Japanese and uh, other things, or uh, Aboriginal, for lack of a better term, along those lines. Worldly. Yeah, you're more worldly, where my folklore tends to be a little bit more focused and intense into a certain area. So I may, uh, forewarning, completely geek out tonight. Because Probably. I've been wanting to talk about this stuff for a long, long, long time, and it's been a long time since we've gone into a full, full, full-blown fairy folklore show, uh, discussing the history and things like that. 
and also myself and Kutch have very similar views on this stuff in regards to um, missing persons, UFO abduction cases. I think even you do to an extent, too, where a lot of we've noticed that a lot of these cases, when you read the details of these cases, they tend to overlap onto old fairy folklore stories or, you know, uh, things that happened with uh, fairy abductions and things like that. Not that I'm saying fairies are real, but there's a lot of circumstances and things like that that do line up so hmm. anyways um we're just going to jump into the interview and uh we'll continue rambling and babbling when we get to the other side so see you guys there yay wee So at long last, the return of Joshua Cutchen, author of The Brimstone Deceit, Trojan Feast, and you also had a couple of essays in the, or it was at least one essay in the UFOs Reframing the Debate, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, just just one essay. Um, but it was a great essay. The best essay you've ever seen. You okay, Trump, it. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great essay. Trust me, I know essays. Yeah, um, I, uh... So you um, went over to Ireland to do Fay research because you are in the process of getting ready to come out with another book. And uh, I believe you got a couple more in the works. Um, yeah. So I ostensibly there's, there's, you know, that's part of the reason is, is to, to get some boots on the ground. Um, but you know, I've, I've long been, I've long had a special soft spot in my life for like pub culture and for just how absolutely gorgeous that country is. I mean, it's, it's, I, have seen just about every inch of, of this country. And, uh, I was astounded at how transcendentally beautiful, um, you know, this, Ireland could be, it just, it was, it was, it was insane. Um, but I do have a new book coming out. Um, this, this allowed me to do some tweaks and to get some, you know, some firsthand knowledge. Um, I have a new book coming out in sometime in 2018. Um, just finished putting the last set of edits on it, uh, this past week, I'm sending it out to some readers this week and going to get back some additional feedback. And I should have it into the hands of uh, Patrick Weijin and Almost Books by the end of the month. Um, and uh, from then, you know, it's off to the races with all the, you know, th then the hard part starts <laughs> with the ind indexing and the edit further editing and whatnot. So what what is the book about for the most part? Like, How much of it can you talk about? How much are you willing to talk about of the book? Because. I mean, you went, you, you took a, you know, an eight hour plane flight to get to this place for further research. So, you know, what, what is the book about? Is it just Fay folklore? Well, you know, I, I thought about just doing a, you know, an entire, um, an entire Fay folklore book, but it's just so much to, so much to, to, it's, it's a lot to bite off, you know, um, all at once. So what I decided to do is to look at just one aspect of it and really illustrate how that reflects out through to the UFO lore. So basically the book is an entire look at uh, paranormal child abduction from the fairy faith era all the way through the modern UFO era, while also comparing and contrasting the similar themes that you find in those two uh, sets of belief. Because, you know, even though I do believe that there's some sort of objective reality to the UFO thing, it is still a belief system in a lot of ways. Um, comparing and contrasting that not only with, um, with you know, global ideas, which are strikingly, astoundingly consistent um, across the entire planet, but also with um, 
with uh, you know ideas of uh, m- m- the missing 411 phenomena. So it's a little bit of a grab bag of everything, but uh, it, it definitely carries that torch that I have of really making people understand that. And, and this is something that I, this is something that I w- would be hard pressed to, um, I would be hard pressed to disavow is the fact that the, the fairy faith and in ufology are describing the exact same constellation of phenomena. Now, whether or not that means one is more objectively true than the other, I don't know, but they're both trying to describe the same phenomena. And, and, if you take one tiny, uh, you know, snippet, one tiny microcosm of one or the other, you will you will find a parallel in in its in, in its partner. You know, so if you if you take like one small aspect of of fairy lore, it it will be echoed in some form or fashion in 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 ufology. I've been I've been thinking that for a long time. The only other person I've heard really talk about it that way was uh, Valet, for the most part. But you do see a lot of instances where fairy folklore overlaps into the UFO abduction phenomena. Uh, you know, what people will see, like back in those days, they would call them will-o'-the-wisp or fairy lights. You know, where we saw lights and then the person came up missing, you know, or something along those lines. Um, but back then, they probably didn't, you know, they didn't have a concept for what UFOs were or how to define the phenomena. So they fit the phenomena to fit what they believed in at the time, which was fairy folklore. Right. Um, and you see this throughout history as t- history goes on, but a lot of it you do see in fairy folklore. And I did, I thought the same thing too about the four one one stuff where you'll see incidences in the four one one for a, yeah, it's four one one. That's what it is. We've never had that guy on the show. I've often thought about having him on here, but I've never, I've never asked him, but he's brought up cases where they'll find people's change, uh, wallets, uh, belt buckles, guns, like metal objects, but they'll never find the body. They'll just find these different pieces of things and that's it. Or they'll find, or someone will show up a couple of days later and they'll have no memory of what happened to them. Right. I think you could probably argue that there are even stronger parallels between, you know, abductions and fairy folklore and missing 411 than between the fairy faith and ufology. I mean, it's, it's striking like the propensity for people to disappear around boulder fields, which were, you know, traditionally globally, you know, you know, not only Europe, but uh, native, uh, the first nations people in America as well. That was the place that the little people lived, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you'll find, um, you'll find, well, one of the examples that I bring up in the book, and this is sort of a good illustration of, of the things that I talk about is, um, there is, uh, you know, this 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 tendency in those cases for people to be found face down with their clothes off, and uh, but believe it or not, whenever you ran into the night marchers in Hawaii, which are the Minahune, Hawaii's version of the Fae Folk, mm-hmm. um, you're not only was it advised that you prostrate yourself and, and show humility by by laying face down on the ground, but it was also a, uh, a a sign of respect in Hawaiian folklore for you to actually like disrobe in front of royalty. So you combine those two things with these people, you know, face down naked with their clothes folded beside them. It's it's striking. And uh, I again, I, I I don't know if you know it's easy to say. Well, missing four one one is fairies. I don't even I don't think that's the case. No, but, but there are that, a lot of very similar. There's a lot uh, of similarities in there. When you hear the story and you go. That sounds a lot oh. like a fairy tale. 
Well, well, well it, it's it the the fairy faith is describing the same thing that is happening to people in the woods. It is. I, I'm I'm convinced of that. I don't know if it objectively means fairy folk. I, I have some nuanced ideas on what that particularly might mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm I'm very much married to this idea that there is some sort of indescribable other behind all these things in Fortiana. Not not I don't I don't even think we could know what it is if we could be presented to pre, be presented objectively in the first place. Well, let's start off with. Tell us about going to Ireland. What have you seen? And tell us about the Sealy and Unsealy. <laughs> well, well, I only cried like four times, so I'm really proud of myself for that. That's awesome. Progress. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, it was emotionally overwhelming. Um, I suppose the first thing that we saw that we saw was the um, were the burial mounds at uh, Newgrange, um, otherwise known as Bernaboyne, and. Uh, one of the sites, the uh, the lesser, so quote unquote lesser, even though it's got a lot of a lot of noteworthy stuff of it, the lesser of two sites now um, has thirty percent of all the megalithic art in Western Europe at this one like location that's less than an acre in size. It's astounding, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was basically a large burial mound with some smaller mounds surrounding it. Um, uh, it's a spot where people have claimed to have seen fairy lights in the past, but even you know, setting that aside, I I, I could appreciate just the uh, the 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 nature of 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 the site as you know a, a historical historically significant um, structure. Um, and you know, it's it, it's interesting because a lot of the artwork depicts things that are concentric circles, chevrons, triangles, wavy lines. Things that not only you see in the altered states, but you also tend to see in terms of things manifesting in the sky nowadays, mm-hmm. um, which I think really underscores this through line that altered states of consciousness play some sort of pivotal role in uh, you know the UFO fairy um, continuum. Uh, but you know, it, it also was. I, I knew that I knew that a lot of these ancient sites were unambiguously human constructed, but had fairy lore attached to them. Uh, but it, that was really underscored for me. Um, that was really underscored for me when visiting there, and really made me you know, try to reconcile. Well, what does this mean that you know a lot of people thought that uh, that uh, you know that uh, that the fairies were inhabiting these sites of you know of prior human habitation? What does that mean? How do you work out that sort of um, that sort of relationship? Because it's it's no secret that. Uh, fairies and the dead were almost synonymous. I think that there's a little bit more of a relationship of, of, of fairies, like sort of taking the dead under their wing or guiding the dead. But there's such a strong correlation that doesn't get talked about. I mean, the, the, the fairy dead correlation doesn't get talked about in popular culture at all, with the exception of um, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell uh, is the one is the one example where you see the fairies actually, you know, cavorting with the dead. But uh, here, here I am. I'm, I'm rambling and going off. Course no, it's here. fine. That's, no, that's, what it's not a big deal. Rambling and going off course. Come on. <laughs> well, there is similarities because you have you have the fairy world, hence you know, which is, is known as Arcadia, and it is this realm that exists outside of ours. And there is a, I've heard multiple stories and I've read multiple things that the barrier between our world and their world is referred to as the hedge. And I heard you talking on Banal's show about how every time you went somewhere, there was hedges everywhere. And you couldn't see over everything because everybody has hedges. There. They don't have walls. They have big, huge hedge bushes. And there's this saying, an idea that to get between our world to the fairyland, um, that you have to somehow transcend and cross that hedge to go into their world. 
But again, this is their world is an ethereal place of constant changing. Um, it's it's where time moves at a different rate, like a, a day here will uh, a day there will be like a year here. Um, their food and drink is different. That's always don't don't eat and drink food, fairy food because it's harmful or once you, once you eat it, you'll never be able to leave. So it's yeah. kind of this idea of that once you cross into the other side, you don't come back. Or if you do yeah, you, come back, you're different. Yeah, you, you can't unring that bell. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, so and, you know, and, and, you know, sort of underscoring the point that that uh, that you mentioned. I mean, you know, you see that missing time motif also, also obviously in ufology, but you also mm-hmm. find that in things like the DMT experience, which only lasts for a finite amount of time, like 13 minutes or something. But people will say that they feel like they've been away for years when they partake of that. Yeah. Um, so I, I I think that I think that we're past the Rubicon in some sense in terms of denying the con the 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 the, the, uh, the connections between fairy faith ufology and altered states as well. I mean that's it's 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 far too coincidental in my opinion to to think that these things don't have some some sort of relationship to another. Well, the problem is is that like I had a guy at work today that was giving me grief because I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about fairy folklore tonight. He immediately went into, oh, are you going to wear your little fairly odd parent wings and you know, yes. have a wand and all that stuff. He yes. went all this stuff. And it's this idea that you have, yeah, yeah funny. You have this mm. Disneyfication idea of fairies and what fairies actually are. And I'm like, no, the, the fairy, these folklore tales are actually very grim. I mean, like Grimm's fairy tales. I'm like, no, actually a little bit creepier and weirder than that. They go far beyond that to where these were once looked at as like deities and demigods. And, you know, then they say when Christianity came and it kind of pushed all that out and made them into morph into something else. But yeah, um, yeah. Know, there, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to, yeah, there, there's actually a belief in some Scandinavian countries that the act of Christianity moving into the country is actually sort of, uh, in, in diminishing their role in culture literally made them diminish in size as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't spent too much time. I mean, obviously the, the sort of effete, pixie like oh pixies are kind of scary too but the tinkerbellization of fairies really has its root its roots in victorian lore i'm not entirely sure how that uh how that came about i'm sure i have one of my numerous books that mentions it but i haven't really taken the time to focus on that because you know if, if you're into this stuff it is disgusting i mean i'm a i'm a 300 pound guy who's six foot three and has a beard and i'm totally into fairies like <laughs> i'm oh. like Dude, you know <laughs> the amount of books that I have sitting here because I was going through last night I couldn't sleep so I got up and I started going through all my books and pulling all these notes and just remembering all this stuff that that I've remembered over the years and now I've got all this stuff in front of me it's like where where the hell do I start to talk about this like you mentioned that you were talking about when you went over there that you of course you leprechauns you think Ireland you think Irish you think leprechauns. And it's funny because everybody, our our interpretation in America and around the world is that leprechauns are these little guys that wear green and have a little top hat and, and you know, they're like these little jolly guys. They actually weren't. They were they were tiny. They were kind of, they were short in stature, but they actually wore red. They had um they had their clothes and like embroiled with gold, and they would make shoes. That was their big thing. The only thing that was accurate was their clothing was the same. But what they did is to try to um, my uh, to try to stereotype the Irish because they were being discriminated against a bunch of newspapers started running like this stereo these stereotyping things trying to stereotype and and uh, what's the word I'm looking for they were trying to well they're being racist against them for the most part so they they did this they took this uh, leprechaun and made it this you know jolly little you know fighting Irish guy which the Irish have embraced 
but they were actually the um the guardians of the darn gold when uh when they were invaded the company that the country that invaded them they were known for taking their treasures and burying them in the pots and the idea was that leprechauns came along and found this gold and said all right we're going to be the guardians of this gold and that's what the legend of you know if you catch a leprechaun they can take you to their hoard and all that stuff and that's how it all came about but a lot of these legends have been bastardized over the years by other cultures and changed um and then there's yeah, the honestly too. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, honestly, and honestly, in all of Fortiana, like the more I think about it, the more the, the fairy folk just terrify me more than <laughs> more than anything. I mean, there's 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 this um, ancient uh, there's this ancient origin that feels almost Lovecraftian with them that you don't get with the you know if if aliens are extraterrestrials, if alien abduction is extraterrestrial, which I I personally am highly skeptical of, but if it is, well, at least there's some sort of, you know, sciencey <laughs> clinical, you know, answer for it. But the, the fairy folk, I mean, their, their motivations are arcane. Um, they have a certain degree of omnipotence that, uh, that is striking and, you know, even less than, or even equal to, to, you know, being afraid of them in general, like the stories of bad luck and the stories of being blinded and the stories. I mean, it's something that you don't want to mess with. So that's why whenever I went anywhere, I always had, <laughs> I always had, had an something offering. to leave behind. Yeah. I, I remember one time, cause I, I would, I, I mentioned this uh, on, in my last interview, but like I would go to bed and breakfast and I would like shove toast in my pockets mm-hmm. um, just to have something to leave behind. But uh, there was one example where I, I found my way into a fairy fort and I was like, Oh, I don't have anything to leave behind. So is that the where you almost some... electrocuted your balls? No, that was... <laughs> oh Jesus! Christ. No, that was the first one. Actually, I some... yeah, I've got some, I've got some handy tips for anybody who's looking to to jump some uh, electric fences. But uh, no, uh, there was one where I ended up just leaving some coins behind. No, actually, it's interesting. If you're wearing denim jeans and the charge on the uh, electric fence is uh, is nominal enough, as long as you like don't clasp your hand around the electrified wire. You should be okay and not feel anything. Cause actually on the way into a field, I jumped an electric fence and didn't even realize it was electric because I was holding the post. But on the way back, I closed my hand around that wire and I, uh, I definitely, <laughs> definitely realized it was something other than what I thought it was. I so, just done one once. Oh my God. Yeah, talk about yeah, it, the inverted penis effect of it. it yeah. Hurts so yeah. bad. I, can't, I cannot imagine. <laughs> that was a long time ago though. <laughs> So since we're already going there, and for those who haven't heard it before, describe the concept of what a fairy fort is. Um, so fairy forts are uh, ancient human-constructed, uh, bur- uh, sometimes burial sites, sometimes dwellings. Um, it really occupies a, a, an entire spectrum of uh, of. Of, of, of structures. Um, typically they're, you know, Neolithic or early Christian. Um, the ones that I have seen now firsthand, I'm very, <laughs> very excited about. Um, yes, Josh, we get it. You went to Ireland. Yeah. You're so cool. But I, they, the several types that I saw, um, sometimes they're burial mounds and burial mounds can be, you know, can be a type of fairy fort. Sometimes you'll hear fairy forts called fairy mounds, fairy hills, fairy raths. 
Um, but these all sort of tend to mean the same sort of types of structures. So you'll find mounds, which are generally, spe- generally speaking, burial, you know, Neolithic burial mounds. You'll also find uh, some fairy forts that are uh, stacked stone structures. And the fascinating thing about these stone structures, there's actually a, a technical uh, term uh, for uh, for this method that escapes me right now. But all the all the fences that you see uh, in Ireland. Are well, the stone fences are made without mortar? They're just stacked stone, and they're they're just the the level of of um, effort that went into stacking some of these so that they fit seamlessly together is absolutely striking. Um, the the uh, Gallus Orator, Oratory in uh, in uh, on the Dingle Peninsula is probably the best example of a structure that is just rock solid, pardon the pun, and doesn't have any any sort of mortar. Um, there are actually twenty seven thousand miles of uh, of stone stone walls in Ireland. I learned, which is uh, which is which is striking on you know an island the size basically of Indiana. Um, so the second type, so the second type that you'll see are generally like uh, they they look more like forts, and they are structures that have concentric rings and different sort of um holding areas, and they're generally the ones that I saw personally were about uh, between waist and chest high stacked stone. Um, then you'll also find uh, some fairy forts that are um, a raised outer ring of earth followed by a ditch in between and then a raised inner ring as well of earth. Um, sometimes it's depending on, depending on the exact structure of it. Sometimes it's, it's just raised earth. It's an earthwork. Sometimes it's actually the stack strewn wall structure that's been covered up with turf and vegetation. Um, and then sort of the last one that you'll see is, uh, the type that was the first one that I saw, which was a ring of stones, um, either one or two stones deep, one stone high, uh, encircling a just just making a perfect circle. Um, and generally, you can notice notice those because you'll see that circle, but you'll also see the interior is completely untouched. And those typically have a very thick growth of trees in the middle. And in in, in all these different sort of uh, types, you end up seeing various amounts of, of 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 tree growth. The mounds themselves don't tend to have any tree growth, nor do the actual stone forts. But once you get into those sort of ring forts. Um, you will find, generally speaking, people tend to not, well, people tend to not mess with any of them, but in the, in the, in the actual, like the actual ring forts that are mounted to earth, you'll find, you know, a grove of trees in the center or, you know, a ring of trees around the outside and there's no trees in the center. Um, really striking, uh, places. And I, I mentioned, you know, I, I, my wife and I, the first couple of days, because there are between forty and 60,000 ring forts in Ireland that wow. I've heard about. So you think that you'd be seeing them all the time. Um, you'd also think that some enterprising grad student would have made some sort of catalog, but no. Um, but uh, um, so, so I was looking for these all the time, and, and between the and I finally figured it out is between the hedges, blocking your view of things, and um, between that and the fact that these things are oftentimes difficult to discern at eye level, at ground level, um, yeah, we probably passed, I would say, several hundred just driving through the countryside because we did a big tour of the of the outer, uh, the outer uh, ring of the uh, ring of the ring of the island. Um, Is this and, something but, that people do, like if they own land that they felt they had to do this to appease the fairies to be able to live there? It was like a show of respect, or was it done out of fear or? You know, why, why did these people do this? Well, I, I, I talked to a storyteller who told me, you know, he, he the, the, the common retort that he hears from people is, I don't believe in fairies, but they exist. <laughs> or, okay. you know, or, or, you know, or um, 
or the other the other retort is always um the other retort is always you know well fairies don't exist but i'm not going to mess with this ring fort um so yeah generally speaking they will not touch them i mean I, the, the the first ring fort that i saw was in a cattle pasture i've been heard that there was one nearby and i finally found it and it was on private land so forgive me lord i jumped the fence and spent less than 5 minutes on the land but it was it was a very profound moment for me um but it was completely untouched and it's really interesting what was interesting to me is that you will find other groves of trees in uh, cow pastures that cows will obviously very obviously have made a path through. You can actually see like, you know, a little tunnel of trees where the cows are going back and forth in between. But when you see one of these ring forts, there is not, I would say that of the eight or so that I actually visited, only one of them had, um, only one of them had any sort of livestock activity around it. The first one that I saw this, this ring fort with just the, uh, the single ring of stones with the trees in the middle, was completely untouched by people and by um, livestock. In fact, um, you know, in, in fact, the uh, the interior of the of the ring fort was completely devoid of any sort of grass, which is a striking thing to see. You know, unless you're in the burn, it's a striking thing to see in Ireland. Um, thick, sickly little trees in the middle. I mean, I have I have a couple of videos that I took of the of the entire ordeal and I'm I'm going I'm going to put some put some photos on Facebook as well. I have some already uploaded, but I'm going to put some more photos on Facebook. Um just it was really striking and it was by far the eeriest thing I've I I the eeriest ring fort that I was able to see. Um so, but there is there is a general sort of reverence that people do have for it. Yeah, and and I actually showed a uh the owner of a bookstore uh because I bought a book that I hadn't seen anywhere that I really love. It's mostly in, it's mostly in Irish, but I'll, I'll work on that. Um, <laughs> there's, there, there's, there's some great block quotes that I had, I wasn't familiar with, which for me is a big red flag that I should pick something up. But I, I showed her a photo of the first ring fort that I saw, uh, I had, and she was like, Oh yeah, we've got one on my, you know, my husband has some on his land too. I'm like, <laughs> so apparently, you know, there's this, they're almost, a lot of the people I spoke to were almost blase about it because they're just so prolific. So I have to ask you then, since you've been into these circles, I have to ask you the dreaded energy question. When you were standing in these, did you get a sense of a different kind of energy from circle to circle? Because it's said that there are different fairy courts. You have the summer court, the winter court. Like you have, there's two names for fairies. You have the Seelie and the Unseelie. And the Seelie are the summer fairies, which are believed to be of positive energy and, and somewhat kind of more helpful towards human, not as mean. And then you have the winter court, which are the, the fairies that are definitely out to fuck up your day. Um, so having said that, it would make sense to reason that these fairies would also have um, fairy forts for them that would convey that energy as well. God, I hope I'm making sense. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you totally, you totally are. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't. So I would love to have something happen to me but at the same time i'm did you get a bad vibe from some and a peaceful vibe from others uh yes i'll say that uh you know i didn't have anything overt happen the first one that i went to was and i hopefully when i when i post a video this it, this comes across first one that i visited was just absolutely oppressive and i didn't set foot into it even though i had bread i did not set foot into it i went around it i you know examined it from the outside um I did not want to go in there. And plus it was, you know, it was quite thick. Um, you know, to, but at the same time, I have to be honest, the ones where that were, that were more heavily trafficked by people felt a little more, uh, easygoing. Um, 
so uh, you know, I, I have to be aware of that component as well. But you know, I I went to some in the middle of the night, and it, you know, it 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 it's interesting to me that. Well, I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I went to uh, spent some time at uh, Loch Gur, which is uh, uh, a lake in County Limerick, which is supposedly one of the like four entrances to Tiernanog to Fairyland um, on the island. Uh, it's That's been, the other name for it that I couldn't remember. I was trying to come up with the name, and all I could oh, come yeah. up was Arcadia. <laughs> Tiernanog, um, and it's 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 one of the most sacred sites in Fairyland. I mean, I, in uh, Evans Wentz, he talks about the fairies actually taking uh, children to Loch Gur to transmogrify them into the Fae folk. Um, but uh, there were several sites that we visited there after night, and it's after dark rather. And it's interesting that um, the fairy forts didn't really feel all that spooky. There was a megalithic tomb that we visited that made my wife and I really want to get the heck out of Dodge. Um, but uh, the, the the ring forts themselves that night were not uh, particularly uh, unsettling, which I you know I, I completely expected the opposite. I would have loved to have gone out there and just sat out there for like three hours in the middle of the night. But you know, uh, my my wife was tolerant enough to to go out in the middle of the night anyway. I wasn't going to keep her out in the cold for <laughs> any longer than I had to. So we didn't spend as much time, probably about fifteen minutes at each spot. Um, but uh, you can you can definitely see. Um, I mean, there is a sense of otherness in a lot of these, um, in a lot of these locations because, uh, they are so, I mean, they're, they're built by human hands and that's on it. Like, again, that, that's not up for debate, but there is an alienness to the way that they, that they are, you know, sitting there and occupying. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. Some of these sites, you know, you're talking about the first stone was stacked in 840 BC or something. And to think that, you know, that 840 years before Christ, you know, you know, popped up in a manger, this foundational stone was laid here by human hands. I mean, there's, there's an innate sense of otherness to, to, to just that concept in and of itself. Hmm. So can I ask a question? Go for no. it. Or it flies no. out of my head. Yes, please. Earlier, I don't know, five, ten minutes ago, actually, well, maybe more than that at this point. Um, uh, well, you never talk, you, so go ahead. Well, I don't. I don't because I, I, oh, I, I fall into this trap of just listening because this <laughs> stuff fascinates me and it's information that I may not know or I do know, and it's just a reaffirmation of of it. But anyway, back to the point. Um, you spoke of the DMT experience. You spoke of alien abduction. In your travels and the research that you've done thus far, what is your spin on the story of Thomas the Rhymer? Um, yeah, come harp with me and come carp with me, Thomas. You know, um, well, wait a I, I, minute. I, Before anybody was, what, explain the story for people that are out there that don't have any idea what the hell we're talking about. I'll put it that way first, and then talk about it. No. Uh, no, yeah, that that, that that's fine. Um, uh, if I think it was. Thomas the Rhymer was Scottish and not Irish, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, the, basically the ballad of, of, of Thomas the Rhymer is that he was lying outdoors and uh, the queen of the fairies comes to him riding on a horse and beckons him to come away. The, the, the common phrase is, come harp and carp with me, Thomas. And he was a, he was a harpist. Um, and uh, he comes back to fairyland and he ends up playing with her. Giggity. Um <laughs> <laughs> playing for her playing for her is what I probably should have said. Um, and she dares him to, she dares him to kiss her. And, 
as, as I recall, um, she uh, ends up uh, taking him back. But again, there's been this preternatural lapse of time. Am I, am I missing anything in that? Really? No, he was he was gone for a long time. Um, so what do you mean by like my take on it in terms of like what I think objectively what what well, what a third party person would have would have, would have observed if they'd watched Thomas the Rhymer disappear or well s- sort of and also as a caveat to that we speak of how the fairies come and take children and tra- transmogrify them into fey folk and there's also you know different um different views on how that came to be where the where the story of that came from changelings and and whatnot, but as someone, as a researcher, that that I mean, at, at this point, throughout the years, we've had a couple of people come on. One we're trying to forget about totally and completely, and hopefully have <laughs> at this point. Oh, I'll bring that up. Um, you talking about Kenny Klein? Yeah, you didn't. Ha- the, he was supposed to be the one that shall never be named again. Well, here I don't on mind. Show. I don't mind. But he was caught for child pornography on his computer. Mm. So, so <laughs> ah, there's that yeah. buzzword again. Well, you know. Um, it's true, yes, but what is what was your view? Do you see any correlations between that story, which was told in wow, the mid twelve hundreds, as opposed to what you found throughout your research? Um, I mean, it, it the it's it's one of those stories that is unique because it combines so many different motifs. Generally, in terms of like on the ground. Let me back this up. First-hand accounts of people who have had interactions with fairies generally don't necessarily unfold in that sort of Thomas the Rhymer narrative. You will see one aspect of it. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the, one of the closer things that I saw was a lady who claimed in the 1930s was a she was a grandmother at the time she was interviewed, but she claimed in the thirties that she um, had been caught up in a dancing ring with the fairies, and her brother had had the foresight to yank her out. Um, and there had been sort of a, a, a bit of a lapse of time, nothing, you know, a few hours or something like that. Um, you will find those motifs um, expressed ad nauseum in terms of people saying, well, my brother, you know, or my aunt or my uncle or, you know, this old man across the way or my neighbor or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the secondhand proliferation of those sort of motifs is incredibly, incredibly strong. Um but uh, in terms of the way that you see them in firsthand accounts, it's not quite as strong. Generally, what people have with firsthand accounts are much more akin to the sort of um, oddities and high strangeness and chance encounters that you find in a lot of modern sort of Fortiana. That's sort of where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ask me about it in a year and my, my opinions will probably have changed. <laughs> well, um, it sounds like the story of the like I was abducted by hot Venusians and they had sex with me. And blah, blah, blah. Then they drop me back off again, which you don't really hear those stories in ufology anymore. But back in the what was it? 60s, I believe it was. You you heard a lot of stories like that. The uh, 60s, 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the the contact team movement. There's this moment of elision between like the 50s through the like late 70s and then the late 70s. It sort of elides into the alien abduction thing. And there's been this complete pivot. Um, I mean, it's not to say that you don't find, you know, antecedents for alien abduction of the modern flavor in fairy lore. I mean, uh, fairies used to, uh, used to pinch and, you know, torment people that they'd take to fairyland. And the same sounds very similar in a lot of ways to sort of the medical pageantry that you see in alien abductions. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I think that, I mean, the, the place that I'm arriving at is that there, there is, there is this altered states have something to do with this. And I don't think that they, I think that they can spontaneously arise in people and that those sort of altered states facilitate a means of seeing not just, you know, if I say the spirit world, people tend to think that means dead people. But when I say spirit world, I mean an ecosystem of spirits, you know, not only the deceased, but also spirits that have never set foot on the earth. But I say that and people think demons, and I don't necessarily mean that either. I think that there are good agents and bad agents and free agents. Um, and I think that that's what you see happening a lot of these times. I think that, I mean, it's it's tricky with, with fairy abduction in the first place because – a lot of times people would be said to be away with the fairies and they would just be, you know, suffering some, some sort of consumptive illness or they would be in a daze or they would be in a trance. They'd be wasting away. And the idea would be that physically they're here with us, but, um, you know, spiritually they are cavorting with the fairies and the physical body is wasting away or, you know, something that comes up a lot. And I haven't listened to what little bit you guys talked about changelings, but, um, you know, the book is on, um, paranormal child abduction. So obviously the changeling thing comes in, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you had adult changelings as well. And that would be the idea too, is that there, the actual person would be in, uh, in fairyland while, whereas the person that you see in your house in bed sick is actually, you know, a, a, a false person, from, uh, a changeling, a fetch, a stock. Like that. Yeah. From what I understand, mm-hmm. from what I've read, I've, I've read various definitions of what a fetch is, but changelings always appear to be the child that was abducted and being, and was replaced by either, uh, a small fay or just a bundle of twigs and leaves and, and refuse that had the glamour on it that would make it appear as a child. And right. I've been told that fetches are the adult equivalent of what a changeling is. Changelings are the children and fetches are the adult. When the adult is taken, another person or same kind of thing is put in place of the adult. And, but then I've also been told that a fetch is something else completely different. So, yeah, well, you will generally hear of, um, I mean, th- that that's true in practice. People rarely say that a baby that has been taken is a fetch. You will find people who describe adult changelings as fetches, but fetch also means like sort of a doppelganger. If you saw a yes. fetch, if you saw mm. your fetch, it meant bad luck and likely that you would die. Etymologically, it's really interesting to think about the idea that, you know, fetch means to, to, uh, to, go get you know, go, go get or yeah. take. Um, it also meant it, it, an, an earlier uh, sort of outdated usage also meant sort of a prank, um, which or 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 a deception, um, which is which is an interesting way to sort of contextualize that within the fairy folklore. Um, changelings were either sickly fairy babies, or the more common interpretation was that they were um, elderly fairy men uh, that were just sort just sort of looked like babies because you always see saw them having these wizened faces. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's interesting to compare that to you know the ufological phenomena of the wise baby dream or the alien hybrids who always almost generally have wizened faces and project this this uh this atmosphere of being older than they appear this is all sort of this these are big books brothers um but you know it's interesting that i found um talking about the stock uh i actually dug into the again the etymology of the word stock which is the stock is that bundle of twigs that you talked about um bundle of twigs yes um it could also be uh, a log, which is probably the more common uh, interpretation that um, that I found. 
Um, but you also find sort of this stock as being represented as, you know, a, a, a lump of sod, a lump of turf, um, a broom wrapped in cloth in one example, a waxen effigy that was stuck as pins, all these being glamored placeholders for the child to appear as a real child. But you do find this, again, this idea of the stock as a log. And I said, I've, you know, I've never heard that term before. Stock as a log. And if you look into it, it's actually a horticultural term. Horticulture. You can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, it's a horticultural term. Okay, it's a horticultural term, and uh, the horticultural term—it's a term. It's a specific term used in horticulture where you are combining two separate plants into one, uh, into one uh, basically uh, shaft. Um, so, in, in other words, it's sort of a—it's actually kind of a potent metaphor for hybridity, which were one of the reasons that pe- that uh, you know fairies abducted people. It was to improve their bloodline. So you find that interesting little etymology there. And again, of course, you know, the, with the alien hybrid hypothesis that a lot of people kick around, it's the same idea. The stock is actually a metaphor for hybridity. Um, even more interesting to me, and this is this is something that's uh, I. I've talked about this a couple of different places. I did it at my last pres- Paramania presentation, but this is something that I haven't talked about on any radio show. So it's an exclusive, exclusive preview of the book. Dun, dun, dun. Um, mm. So I talk about the way that you will find, if you dig into it, these um, connections between ufology and fairy lore. So we've already established that in some changeling cases, the changeling was actually a stock. It was a log. It was a piece of a tree, right? Log, it's log, it's big, it's wooden, it's round. <laughs> I always everyone loves a log. Wood. Okay, I haven't heard the song in years. <laughs> heavy a twigs log. Everyone loves a log. Nobody knows what the hell we're talking about right now. They better. Ren and Stempy, folks, I'm, Google it. Yeah, I was about to say, I know what you're talking about. Um, but uh, it's interesting if you look at the comparisons between the descriptions of changelings and the descriptions of hybrids, alien hybrids and ufology are practically identical. And that's been noted ad nauseum. What no one has talked about is the fact that. Um, there is a certain contingent of researchers who believe that uh, alien abductees will reveal signs of their interactions under blacklight. And generally speaking, they feel, and I've found a couple different researchers, not the, not, not like, you know, not grade A researchers, but my point is to point out similarities. It's not necessarily to, to talk about everybody being, um, it, to, to me, it's, it's it's the reflection of motifs is more important than the veracity of every single story. Um, but you will find some abduction researchers who say, who claim that those who have handled hybrid babies uh, will have the spots where they were touched fluoresce um, pinkish purple under blacklight. One of the substances that fluoresces pinkish purple under blacklight, one of the most common substances that fluoresces pinkish purple under blacklight is chlorophyll. So you have this idea of the hybrid alien baby reflected in the changeling, which was sometimes a log. And you have hybrid alien babies leaving a substance substance that fluoresces like chlorophyll behind on abductees' bodies. Now, of course, you know, the the folklorists will say, well, this is, you know, this is the fairy faith reasserting itself in the modern day. And the ufologist will say, actually, it means that the aliens are plant based life forms. Oh, my God. They're, they're plant based <laughs> forms. Right. But but the, but but if, but if you're a comparative for T and you say that's an interesting connection, I don't know what it means, but it definitely implies some sort of through line. And that's that's sort of a a paraphrasing and bastardization of something that Jeffrey Kripal said. But like the, the, the idea is that 
it doesn't objectively mean one thing or the other. It's just an interesting little connection that uh, that continues to 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 link the two between you know antiquity and today. You do a lot of that in your books, I've noticed. You did it with the Trojan Feast, and you also did it in the Brimstone Deceit, where you don't point to something and go, "There's your definite proof." You just say that's an interesting correlation between this and between that. Um, well, everybody says it's definite proof is generally an asshole. I mean, that's <laughs> why I love you, man. <laughs> that's my opinion, at least. I appreciate it, Lobo. But going back to because I could see the evolution of this of of what you're doing. It started in a Trojan feast, and I could see where you were going with this all along. Boy, that doesn't sound pretentious at all. Um, <laughs> but going back to like the brimstone deceit. Um, did you see situations in there like that were correlated with smells like in the fairy folklore world that carried over into this? I'm sorry. Repeat that one more time. You, you dropped out there for a second. Of course. For the last like because my Skype connection so. probably sucks. Um, do you see correlate <laughs> right. in, in the brimstone deceit, which is pretty much a book about smells in the paranormal world? Did you see any correlations in there with fairy folklore and UFO abduction carrying over into what you're researching now? Or did you like see something in there and say, hey, I wonder if this carries over into what I'm doing? I mean, there are there are certain there are certain aspects that I I feel like. So one of my favorite people um, he guys should talk to. He's a brilliant guy. Um, one of my favorite thinkers in the subject of the supernatural nowadays is Gordon White. And Gordon is a, is a, a chaos music, a musician, chaos musician. Nice. <laughs> That's freeform jazz, but go ahead. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just, John Cage, the chaos musician. He's a, he's a chaos magician um, who actually was extremely prolific writing three people published three books in a year and he talked about Do you need a moment that, to reconstitute your tongue and, and get your your tongue shit together? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's some of this maybe it's some of this uh this duty free Irish whiskey I brought back oh. talking I don't know. Oh, but wow. uh but uh, uh was oh yeah so he talked about releasing these three books he was like if you read all three books you unlock a fourth unwritten book that is sort of everything between the lines and I think that anybody who um who has sort of a, a through line through their research will find that that sort of thing happening. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do see that you do see these, these sort of through lines. I mean, the fact that there is this strong correlation between, you know, the fae folk living um, the faith, the fairy folk living beneath uh, beneath the ground, not only says a lot about their, um, a lot about their relationship with the dead because where do the dead live? The dead live below ground. But also, you know, the fact that you see how this pervasive smell of, of, uh, subterranean, uh, subterranean gases associated with the paranormal. I mean, like you know, hydrogen sulfide is very much associated with, with caves and such. Is um, that the smell that's know, you, usually associated with Faye that people report smelling or, you know, um, not explicitly. I mean, so there's uh, there was one uh, particular uh, case that I found where there was a, a priest who said that a um, a a uh, their encounter with the fairy folk um, reminded them of uh, the, the smells of gases coming from underground. Um, but you'll also find, you know, smells of earth associated with the underground and you'll find smells of earth associated with a lot of other things. You'll find smells of earth associated with, you know, uh, the black eyed kids. Um, you'll find smells of earth associated with, uh, with some, some Bigfoot accounts. Bigfoot can, I mean, I, I could say that 
you can find X smell associated with Bigfoot and you probably can find some precedent before it because smell is such a part of that experience. Um, but yeah, the, the, there are, I mean, there are consistencies there. I mean, you, you've also got to look, I mean, with, with the brimstone deceit, so much of the time people would describe something um, in vague terms and you have to sort of track down exactly what they were trying to say. Like if somebody says it smells like dead bodies, well, that could partially mean hydrogen sulfide. Um, you know, if something smells like rotten eggs, that probably does mean hydrogen sulfide. Um, but you do find these, these, these connections as well. These, these sulfurous connections. Um, I recall there was another, um, there was another, uh, th there's a reputation for, um, uh, uh, these these quartz stones in East Lancashire um, that are uh, that were found in the the source was from an 1880s glossary, and it was the, these white quartz stones that if you rub them together they ended up smelling like brimstone and they were called boggart stones and of course boggart mm. was one of the many names faithful so you find these oblique references and these oblique connections here and there and of course the brimstone deceit is all about smells in the paranormal but especially you know all smells in the paranormal but in particular there is this common through line of of brimstone with all these smells and before anybody thinks you know the brimstone deceit sounds like you know a joel austin book or something it's not it's 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 a pretty measured look you know i don't i don't come to the conclusion that it's all demons because i i honestly you know even as a even as a practicing christian i don't feel like all this stuff is demonic um you know well that's what there, a lot if, of this stuff was labeled like is even in fairy folklore you see once the Christianization of, of Ireland begins to happen is where a lot of these fairy folk begin to take a back seat and begin to morph. And throughout fairy folklore, it's always mentioned like there's this, there's like, um, it's called a Grigok or a Grogok or Grogosh. I can't, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They are the, they're these friendly little hairy little Aboriginal men who are invisible, but if they take a liking to you, they'll come to your house and start doing things for you and help you plant crops and all those kinds of things. And all they ask for is a, uh, a jug of fresh cream. The problem is, is after a while, they start to get under your feet and they start to get in your way, kind of like a little kid. And you get to a point where the only way you can get rid of them is to have somebody from the clergy or a holy man come. And a lot of times in fae folklore, these... Um, Fae are very much repelled by by uh, cold iron, which is iron worked by human hands. Ironically, cold iron, you get it hot to work it. Go figure. But um, what you did talk about, you were on um, uh, Strange Familiars, which was an excellent episode talking about the Fae and the power of iron and blacksmiths and so forth, which I'll get back to. But um, through all these all these Fae forces are repelled by um, like holy men, Christian, you know, magic or for whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's probably because when Christianity comes into any place and tries to, it's it's more or less a conquer and assimilate kind of religion, where if we can't get you to not believe in that, then we'll demean it or we'll assimilate it into our religion. So they are repelled by that kind of thing. So, Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – it's, um... so, you know, look at the way that people tend to describe it, tend to um... – Explain away anomalies nowadays. Mm. They always tend to say they they jump to the alien answer. I don't care what it is, you know. Um, you know my my steak was overdone. Oh, it must be aliens. Like you, you hear some really aliens ridiculous steak? examples. Well, I'm Tom DeLong. I, guess I, I no longer sing for Blink 182. Aliens. Oh, I guess I should say if, if there's. Oh, don't get me. No, we're good. Keep going. Go <laughs> on. Too late. But um, anything anomalous. 
generally speaking, people nowadays, if they want to ascribe it to some sort of paranormal source, will say that it was aliens. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, the Pope in yesteryear was Giorgio Tsoukalos, you know, therefore demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so you, you see that. But also, you know, um, there is this – it's interesting because there is a – so few of the people – who were part of the countries that had, you know, an extant fairy faith before Christianity came in. So few really adopted the demon idea. Um, you know, they, they tended to say, Oh, well, you know, maybe they were fallen angels who were shut out of earth when the gate, when the pearly gates were closed during the battle for heaven and earth, where they're the, the angels that were too, you know, too good for hell and too bad for heaven. But rarely do you see them actually say, you know, you know, go full in on, on the, uh, the demon thing. Um, well, their answer is, uh, I believe elementals. Cause They've right, got elementals, and then they've well, got they, fae, which elementals, I believe, are spirits. Correct? Yeah, the elemental thing is tied into like sort of a seance, uh, theosophist culture a little bit more. Um, but there is definitely a, a precedent for it being um, a precedent for it being, you know, sort of uh, pagan gods of the earth, you know, in an animistic sense that were sort of folded into you know, forward into the whole Christian thing. Um, you know, the iron thing is interesting um, because you'll see that um, you'll see that with, um, with the demonology as well, but something that Gordon White hit me to, which I think is probably a pretty good example for why, uh, you know, these, these, the paranat the par- paranatural paranormal tend to be averse to iron because you'll see that like literally in countries around the world, mm-hmm. even, even in Eastern cultures, um, is that it represents sort of this Promethean idea of a stolen technology. Um, you know, it's, 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 it is, it is one of the means by which human beings can assert sovereignty over the natural world. By working. Iron. Um, well, yeah, by working iron, because I mean, you think of it, you know, now you now you have an you have an iron, you have an axe, you have you know a stronger axe so that you can actually, um, you know, you can build homes. You have iron so that you can you know uh, have have swords. So I mean, like, there's that's probably part of the reason why you find you know this this reverence for iron. Um, the fact that you know iron had ferromagnetic qualities, it must have seemed uh, you know um, must have seemed magical to some degree. Um, a lot of people might have encountered iron ore from meteorites, you know, so it would have been heaven delivered in some sense as well. Um, so there are a lot of different reasons why iron um, might have been, you know, important. The cold iron thing is a really tricky thing to track down um, in terms of exactly where that comes from and exactly like the definitions. I mean, the definitions generally agreed upon, as you said, iron that's been worked by human hands. But, you know, it does beg the question what uh, – you know what what what's the alternative to cold iron like just a hunk of rock you know because it's i i i i i well i think i got into to a conversation on the project archivist uh for, uh one of your posts about uh about this with with someone who was a metallurgist and i i came around to the idea that yeah you know it's it's kind of a problematic term because um uh you know the, there's the idea that you would just have like you know just unrefined iron ore that you'd throw it, throw it a changeling or, you know, press to a changeling's head or, yeah. well, or do something. There's one is, of the legends where is, if you're a mother and you have your child and you don't want it to be stolen by the fairies that you would tack a nail, an iron nail over, over your bed frame. And that would repel. Them. Yeah. And, and that's sort of double trouble because fairies apparently also hated sharp things. Yeah. Uh, you had to hang what? a knife over your child's bed or something weird, weird like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what there's the so, <laughs> nothing strange. About I, that. I have heard, according to folklore on Rathlin Island, which is the, uh, which is a, 
I think after the largest of the Aran Islands is the most is the largest continuously inhabited island off the cor- off the coast of Ireland. It's far to the north. There's this idea that the fairies hate sharp things because it reminds them of the fact that they are not human because they are bloodless. So the idea is that if they cut themselves, they'll be reminded that they're not human. Um, interesting to compare that to ideas of the gray alien, which certainly looks bloodless and has been described as being bloodless in numerous accounts. But that's neither here nor there. Um, you have this combination of the potency of iron with sharp objects like nails, like knives, like scissors, like uh, shears and such, combined with the idea that a lot of these objects could also form a cross. So it was like sort of a triple threat. It's iron, it's sharp, and it's also – you can make it into sort of a crude cross. If you open a pair of shears, you can sort of make a, a crucifix sort of symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'll find you'll find like part of this – part of the new book is like – this is some dark stuff I'm talking about. Like in one in one part, I, I I talk about, you know, a guy arrested in Thailand for you know roasting male fetuses and gold plating them, um, to form some this type of specific you know Thai black magic amulet, and I also talk about you know the ways in which people exercise changelings, which is some horrific stuff. I mean, it's 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 child abuse. There's no way around mm-hmm. it. Um, and you know, they would leave sharp objects, sharp iron objects in the bed with children. Um, the, the, the most unsettling one is that, uh, that I found was that, uh, someone actually hung a, uh, a knife pointy end down just above a child's head as a means of repelling the fairy folk. Um, which is just like, sounds like the worst advice ever, <laughs> but that's some of the stuff that people did is, is, is they, they weren't afraid of, you know, sort of, uh, combining these, these different, uh, these different methods and, and because, because the fear was so great uh, and so legitimate um, that, uh, that the fairies would come and take your children. I mean, I, there's one of my favorite documentaries um, is you can find on YouTube. It's great. I watch it like once a year, at least it's uh, just called the fairy faith. And it's about sort of the importation of the fairy faith into, uh, into, into Canada. Um, But they talked to some people and and they talked to one gentleman in that particular documentary. And this was filmed in like the late nineties, maybe, or the early two thousands who, who, you know, I heard of a friend of a friend having a changeling, you know, he's on, he's on film talking about this in his lifetime. It's, it's startling how um, prevalent and how recently these sort of beliefs have endeared. Well, they, yeah, you still see it in places like um, in Norway, where they'll reroute highways and things, or they'll have people mm-hmm. come in because there'll be a tree there and they'll have somebody come in and like, they can communicate with the fairies and try to strike up a deal to be able to finish building a highway. And you see these reports come across the internet like once a year or so. And they're always something like going through a fairy fort or something like that. They, it's really strange because it's like you said, well, I don't believe in fairies, but we're still going to do this. You know, it's kind of like, um, right. I likened it. We had a guest on uh, Corvus Nocturnum a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, succubuses and Lilith and things like that. And I brought up the whole thing of the green man, which he didn't really understand. I was talking about. Um, Are you familiar with the green man? I'm sure you are. Yeah. The green man or the wood woes. I mean, you sort of see this too conflated. Yeah. So you had it in Christianity where Christians came in and they tried to convert people to Christianity. And they said, you know what? We'll, we'll follow the Christian faith and Christ is there for our spiritual needs and our afterlife. But they would not give up the, the concept of the green man. They still paid homage to the green man because that was who they believed would take care of their crops. That was who they believed would ensure their success in the material world, um, which is why you see these modus of a face with leaves all around it and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I have spent some time talking to people about is I don't think people realize fully how um, how pervasive 
the fairy lore is in our modern lives. I mean, it's, it's, it's so many of our words come like, you know, you know the, the, uh, the boogeyman is derived from, you know, the boggart, mm-hmm. um, which is this, did you, did you, did you hear about the puka when you were out there by chance? Have you talked to you about a puka? I picked up a book on the puka. I didn't know. No one really mentioned that. Well, actually, yeah, there was there was one fellow who mentioned the puka, but I, I ended up picking up a, the, the book that I picked up was is on the puka. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, you know, if someone's puckish. It's the exact same idea. Yeah. Um, well, the and, word and, and, silly know, coming, comes from um, the word silly comes from sea lie. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that, yeah, but that totally doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, because well, like sea lie, that also goes along with the whole thing about the glamour. Like, literally, it's sea lie, so you're seeing something that is a lie, and then you've got the unseely, which is unsee lie, which again goes with the whole glamour. It's just the opposite spectrum of it, and the word silly comes from the word sea lie, which means nonsensical. You know, so when somebody says that's silly, you know, they're you know, yeah, it means it's nonsensical and garbage, but they're also referring to the whole idea of the fae being silly and nonsense and all that. Nice. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, uh, but, you know, it, so, so, so something that I don't think anybody really has fully appreciated and sort of underscores another point that I'd like to make is, you know, you'd mentioned the green man and the green man is very much associated with uh, the sort of the idea of the gilly do. And the gilly do was um, a Scottish solitary fairy um, who uh, inhabited, you know, the, the, the woods and was, had a bunch of leaves and, uh, and detritus of the forest in his, in his, in his, on his body. And the ghillie do is where we get the term ghillie suit from. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, you know, that sort of helps you blend them with the forest. But interestingly enough, the Australians don't call their ghillie suits, ghillie suits. Do y'all know what they call it? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> Fosters. Weird, sure. I didn't know. I didn't know. You guys are so well informed. I wanted to yeah, you got me on this one. I was just going to say no, Fosters. I, I don't know. Australian military calls their ghillie suits yowie suits. Oh, yeah. Because no of the yowie. Yes. Yeah. So, and this is something that like this is something. So people have people have banged the alien fairy drum for a long time. And no one is really comfortable. No, no. So, yeah. No one is comfortable at all banging the, the fairy Sasquatch drum. Um, because, you know, honestly, like cryptozoologists, I love them. I know a lot. Of, obviously, I know a lot of cryptozoologists. They are going to be the last pre- people to get onto the consciousness, high strangeness, weirdness bandwagon because they they're trying so hard and they have good reason to. I mean, like, I think that all Fortiana has Sasquatch envy, right? I mean, they have some of the best physical evidence that you can find, but there are these pernicious connections between Sasquatch and fairies that people just don't talk about, you know, I mean, like, uh, you know, you'll find people who claim that Sasquatch sneak into barns and braid horses manes at night. Well, that's literally every fairy folk from here in North America through Europe did that. You know, um, you'll hear people talking about like, oh, the Sasquatch zapped me with infrasound. Well, that sounds an awful lot like being fairy struck, doesn't it? With a fairy arrow. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll find all these little connections and no, Nobody really wants to talk about the fairy Sasquatch connection. So that's sort of a little taboo area that, I, that I've made sort of a, a personal uh, grinding stone of my own. Well, the Bigfoot people are kind of weird. And like I've been like last year, I was down at Mothman and we were hanging around uh, outside the hotel and Redford was there and a bunch of other people were there. Ooh, you know, I'm bragging, I guess. But we were having these conversations yep. and I saw it happen in front of me where like if you brought up ghost hunting or UFOs and Sasquatch Never will these worlds cross. It was it was like, no, yeah. that's not that's silly. UFOs and, and Bigfoots, that doesn't make any sense. Those stories are just yeah. stories. Or poltergeist phenomena related to Bigfoot. No, that's you know, or ghost phenomena and UFOs. 
you know, we all live in glass houses. So blow it out. Your yeah. Ass, and yeah. I'm sitting there kind of like <laughs> this dumbass. It's like, well, there might be something to this stuff. And you couldn't get everybody was competent. You know, everybody was cool talking about this stuff in their own little groups. But if you tried to intermingle any of it immediately, everybody kind of shut it down right on the spot. You know, which is probably why I'm not popular is because that's all that I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think yeah, I think that's something I think that's something holding cryptozoology back, holding folk. Well, holding cryptozoology back, holding uh, ufology back. Oh, ufology is a that, ball of wax unto itself oh, and its own thing. Ball that, of wax. You're being kind. It's a ball of it's shit. It's a ball. It's not wax. <laughs> but again, but again, you know, but again, I think that they are in a lot of ways more open to some of these ideas than um, than than cryptozoology is. I mean, cryptozoology is really banging this materialist drum really hard. Yeah. They want, you know, they want, they want a, they want an actual creature that's, you know, that you could put in a zoo out there. And I, I think that might be part of it, but there's, there's way too much other odd stuff going on for that to be the only, only answer to the equation. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to fairy folklore again, where people would see these things, but they don't leave any real physical evidence or anything behind. So, you know, it's, it's really strange because you'll have these experiences or people would have these experiences and it, you didn't, they didn't leave anything else else out there. And these beliefs are still very much ingrained, as you were saying, into them. That's why the, these stone structures and these things, I believe, are still out there. But the whole process of ley lines brought up by chance when you were there? It's actually funny that you mentioned that. Um, there is uh, – so at Loch Gur, uh, which is, again, if you're I – mean, we mentioned this off air. But if you're interested in this stuff at all, go to Ireland. Just do it because yeah, you're going to be uh, tripping over it, – yeah. it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. And not only is it an embarrassment of riches, but this is the stuff that people don't pay for. Like this is the stuff that's sort of like, you know um, – I think like I went to a haunted castle and hung out in, in, in the living room in front of a fire with the owner playing his penny whistle for six euro. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculously cheap. We know somebody who lives over there. There's a guy named, he's been on our show. Mick Doyle. And I was actually going to try to hook you up with him, but he was in Italy at the time, but he actually runs um, East coast paranormal researchers out there. And they go and investigate like castles all of the time. Not, not tourist castles, castles that people live in that are off the beaten path. And if I could have hooked you guys up, you could have said, hey, can can you take me to this? He, he would have taken you to see all kinds of stuff. Like well, when we talk to him, he's like, oh, yeah, we investigate this stuff all the time. These castles are like, you know, 500, 400 years old and blah, blah, blah. You know, and he's he's he says he's seen a lot of crazy stuff out there. But he was more prescribed as either ghost or elemental or something like that, which is the elemental thing isn't thrown around very much on this side of the pond where over there it is. So. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, I um, yeah, I I'm actually more sympathetic towards the ghost hunting community as dorky as they can be, um, nowadays than I am, you know, um, any 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 other any other communities because I think that they are the closest. Well, de they're definitely the closest towards getting replicable results, but I think that they're also the closest. I think they're they're dart is getting closest to the bullseye of anybody in terms of like is trying to explain a lot of these things. But anyway, sorry, let me, let me. So yeah, I just totally reset. Play lines. Play lines. Play lines. We just went off in four different tangents, like within a spirit, a process of three minutes. So <laughs> right, right. You all suck. You want to be listening to hysteria 51. Also, you want to poison yourselves.
In order to poison your gallbladder, all you have to do is. Dude, are you serious? L O L O L ha 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 ha. What do you mean, L O L O L? What are you doing? It sounds like you're up to your old tricks again. We reprogrammed you. Project Archivist is trying to put out a show, so I am messing with them. I just hacked their feed. Why would you hack their feed? Because I like to party. Robot. What are you guys doing in here? Why do you leave him plugged in? I, I don't even know. Ugh, who's he messing with now? Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Project Archivist. Dude, cut the feed. No. Cut it! Ugh, but they suck worse than a Dyson. Oh well, I guess Hysteria 51 does too. John and Brent, you are both dead to me. Tell us a story, Ranger Jet. Oh, okay. I could tell you about the time I locked eyes with Sasquatch, or about my brush with the elusive Chupacabra. Then there was that encounter with the Mothman. Yeah, tell us about the Mothman. Of course, I once saw a lake monster and a sea monster on the same day. Wow. That's not even taking all the ghosts, aliens, and UFOs into account. You've seen all that as a park ranger. <laughs> no, son. Those are the creatures I've encountered in my cryptid crate. What's a cryptid crate? Cryptid Crate is a monthly subscription box that arrives on your doorstep each and every month. It's filled with various cryptozoology and paranormal themed items such as t-shirts, hats, art, media, and other collectibles. I want a Cryptid Crate. Yeah, I want one too. You can get yours by visiting www.cryptidcrate.com. Sign up is quick and easy and shipping is always free. I can't wait to get my Cryptid Crate, but for now, how about that story? So one anyway, one of the places that I went to, as I mentioned, was uh, Loch Gur, and it's it's one of those places that is just so rich in history. I mean, so we're standing in the middle of what is the largest stone circle in Ireland, and the guy that we'd hired for the day was like, "Yeah, there are about you know sixteen other stone circles around here, but this one's the biggest in Ireland." <laughs> so it's just you know it's 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 amazing. Um, it's uh, it's it is the largest, as I mentioned, largest stone circle in Ireland. Um, the stones are 400 years older than Stonehenge, and the largest ones are from about three miles away. Um, it's uh, 105, no, sorry, 113 stones, 150 feet across. It's enormous, and it has some, you know, some uh, some great lore attached to it. There was supposedly a a someone who wanted to be a musician who uh, fell asleep at the inside the fairy ring and awoke and was able, you know, inside the ring and was sorry, the stone ring, stone skull, damn it. And and was well, well when he awoke he was able to teach he was able to play the harp, um because he'd been taught by the fairies which you know sort of shades of Robert Johnson you know mm-hmm. at the crossroads right there yeah right um but uh, the guy that we hired for the day and again I if if you go to Locker like which I recommend you do um hire hire a guided tour because it was just us and him going to these spots a guy who just has lived there forever um, Michael Quinlan he did a great job um, with us he um. He uh, mentioned, you know, he mentioned the fact that this particular spot was supposedly uh, an intersection of ley lines. He said that, you know, he's if you brought someone here with some dowsing rods, they would just be going completely haywire at this particular location. And it was really interesting to hear that from him because, I mean, there's a pervasiveness of belief in these sort of things in Ireland that you don't find in in the U.S. I mean, like this is this is a guy who went back to get his. But went back to school just to get his master's in archaeology, you know, master's in, you know, uh, in, you know, in, in, you know, ancient cultures. And, 
he's saying this, you know, five minutes before he was talking about rock strata and the dating of, you know, the dating of certain stones in the circle. So it's really, it was really, in fact, quite, uh, quite a sound to hear that coming from him. Um, but, uh, he claimed that the largest, uh, stone in the circle, um, uh, I believe it's, it's, it has a name that translates to the dark one, which is, you know, a wonderfully charming name, but he claimed that if you closed your eyes and tried to let everything, you know, sort of the, the weight of the world, you know, fall off of you and you placed your forehead on the stone, you would feel energized or something. So he said a lot of people had said that. And I said, okay, you know, again, me, you know, like I, I want these things to happen to me, but I'm just intellectually honest enough to not like say, oh, you know, I had my third eye open, you guys. Um, mm. So I, I want these sort of things to happen to me, but I, I, I will be the first person to admit nothing happened. Um, and I did it once and nothing happened. And I said to myself, I said, I'm going to try that one more time. And it was, you know, it was a particular time in the day where it was just my wife and I in this in this stone circle, even though it's sort of probably the um Did you get a vibe most... off of it? Did you feel a vibe? I'm getting, getting there. there okay. Getting there, okay. man. Getting there. Okay. Um it's uh it's definitely the most it's definitely the most notable tourist attraction in the area. Um Did you feel a vibe? But, uh, <laughs> no, guy. go ahead. You know what? Go I'm ahead. not gonna tell you anymore. New, next story. So we're having dinner and um, no, um, it's, uh, what was I even talking about? Oh yeah. So anyway, <laughs> at, at this particular time, it was, it was quite noticeable that we were able to have some time. Um, we were able to have some time to ourselves mm. and, uh, do, 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 do. it was, <laughs> it was, um, it was a special moment. Damn it. Rogan. It was a special moment. And, um, he, uh, actually, he, he wanted us to spend some time. He said, I'm going to give you about 10 to 15 minutes just to spend some time here. So the second time I went back to put my forehead to it and I didn't really feel like anything was happening until I got the sensation and I pushed myself away immediately just as a reaction. And I wish I hadn't, but I got the sensation of my forehead becoming really almost slippery and the sensation of almost falling forward into the rock. It was uncanny. It was absolutely uncanny. Um, and I went back later. It was one of the sites that we went to that night. Um, and I did it again, and it happened again. And again, I pushed myself away. And I, I really wish that I hadn't. But it was almost like, you know, the feeling that sometimes when you're getting ready to go into a really good sleep cycle, you feel like you're falling backwards, you know? And then you jump and you wake up? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was sort of that feeling except forward within, you know, 15 seconds of me putting my forehead on this rock. So And then Josh vanishes into a rock and leaves his wife as a widow. <laughs> Well, exactly. You know, I've heard enough stories, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was um, that is probably the strangest thing that happened to me in terms of being, you know, sort of a 14 thing. Are there legends regarding that rock of people disappearances around that area or anything like that? Um, well, it, uh, I mean, there's there's in terms of what uh, I hadn't dug really deep into the stone circle. Um, if local like whisperings are to be believed, then yes. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I haven't really run across anything, um, in any literature that I've read. Um, but again, Michael, our guide said that he had heard a lot of people talk about this and he himself felt that, you know, uh, if you did that, you, you know, something would happen to you. And I came and I explained to him what I experienced and he goes, Oh yeah, the beginning. Like, that's a really weird cryptic thing to say, but. And he didn't go any further with it. No, I, you know, it's. 
I feel like when you're interested in these subjects, you sort of walk the line between trying to be a functional social human being and, you know, scratching that geek itch. For example, when we went to Lip Castle, um, which is a super haunted location, I made, I made it very much known to the owner that I knew all about the castle's background. Um, but then I just sort of left it there and wanted to see if he said anything else. And it was very obvious he knew what I was talking about, but he didn't really pick that up and run with it. And part of that is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want them to, I don't want these people to think that I'm some sort of fly by night. Hey, I saw this on the history channel, you guys, and it was really creepy. <laughs> like I'm not that person. And I don't want to come off that way. So I try to sort of walk the line between being, um, between being a, uh, you know, between geeking out and being sort of a normie, mm-hmm. I try to try to walk that line as best I can. So <laughs> that stone circle was that located on a ley line or an intersection of a ley line? He, no, he said he said it was a convergence of ley lines. He hmm. said that he had heard multiple times that it was a convergence of ley lines, and that's the reason that your dowsing rods, if you went there, would just go sort of haywire. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I mean, there's. If, if if you go to some of these sacred spots in Ireland, you'd think that every single one of them was on a ley line. Like I could, you could probably drop me in the middle of a sheep pasture, and I'd think it was in the middle of a ley line out there because it's so such a gorgeous and peaceful, um, peaceful spot on the planet. Um, uh, which you know, speaking of which, uh, that's sort of a, a good segue into something that I made sure I wanted to talk with you guys about is the fact that you know in America. I personally, I don't know if this is you guys feeling at all, but like, I I feel like you have to go way out of your way to find the anomalous in America. You know, it's, you know, there's nothing weird going to happen in these woods because, you know, I can hear the interstate from here or, you know, uh, there's nothing weird going to happen in this spot because it's, you know, relatively, uh, relatively new development. But it struck me because the entire, you know, the entire country is so relatively small you're pretty much always within sight of some sort of you know at nighttime you're always within sight of a of a a, a, a uh uh you know a domestic dwelling light light source you know and yet it's still a place that is dripping with folklore it's still dripping with you know um still dripping with encounters with the other whatever that may be and it really struck me, you know, I, I really should abandon this idea that you have to go out into the middle of nowhere to have some sort of transcendental experience with, you know, again, with the other, as I prefer to call it. Yeah, I would absolutely um, agree with that because both myself and Lobo mm-hmm. have had experiences that are not out in the middle of nowhere and not, you know, in, in yeah, mundane well, places. Mm, so <laughs> some of them but are you, out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you, you, but, you, and, but you feel like it. You feel like it should be, you know, I mean. Yeah. At least that's been my take. Is like you know, oh, here I live. I'm on the outskirts of Atlanta. Nothing's ever going to happen to me, guys. But that's not that's not just not the case. You know, it's just not. The yeah, case. I agree. Um, and that's something that that really was a nice, um, a nice adjustment of my own worldview. And uh, I mean, honestly, I was this 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 trip definitely recharged my batteries in that sense. That's awesome. So when you were there talking to these people what was their response to you when you told them why you were there? Cause you don't sound like somebody that was going there to see the major sites. You sound like you were like, you know what, let's get the hell out of here and drive as far out to the country as we can and get lost. 
Well, know. when we had when I had, when I talked to the guy at uh, at Loch Gur, um, well, there there are two there are two notable instances when that happened, because you know we did some stuff that wasn't, believe it or not, fairy or you know uh, ancient site related. Yeah, those are called pubs. Um, but anyways, um, oh, for God's sakes! <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's right, not well, arguing. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Um, but uh, the the first reaction was you know with with uh, with with uh michael who was our guide at lock Gur, um I, I i he said i said so you know i hear that you're better with folklore so i'm like yeah i've read patrick kennedy and and you know crofton croker and rise and uh you know as wentz and lady gregory and lady wild and i just i want to get something from from you know from from a bit of a local perspective and he looks at me and he goes well if you've read all that what the hell do you want me to say <laughs> <laughs> so that was well the thing is, is a lot of this folklore literally is different depending on which region you're in like there's a legend of the uh, the dullahan which is the original headless horseman legend and depending on where you're at in ireland one person will tell you that it's a horseman that rides around the stereotypical headless horseman that rides a black horse holding his head and there's another part of ireland that'll tell you the story that it's actually a guy that drives a coach that's driven by six horses and he has a bone uh, a whip made of a spine you know and um and if you either way, it sounds badass. Yeah, either way, and like, and there's another like, and either way, if you see this thing, you're supposed to look away from it and not pay attention because it can scan the entire countryside with its eyes, with its head that it's holding. And if you don't, you'll get splashed in the face with a bucket of blood, um, or you'll um, or you'll be blind in one eye. I believe is the other one. But these legends, they change depending on where you're at in the country. Like, uh, like the the whole um, the puka thing, depending on where you are. That's why I asked you if you ever went to Waterford or Wexford, because then Waterford or Wexford, the puka is a black eagle. And depending on where you're at, it's different things because it's shape changes like a Bogart. But there's mm-hmm. always this thing about um, they had to um, like they would always transform into a goblin and it would demand shares of the crops. So it got to a point where farmers right. would just leave parts of their crops untouched and they would call that the puka share. And then. Yeah. And it, go ahead. And it. it in this in this puka book that I'm reading or that I'm I'm parsing my way through, um, there are examples of the puka depicted. You know, not only like as you said, but also as a large anomalous black cat, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which you know doesn't show up in Fortean at all. Black horse, with smoldering um, eyes. Is black horses. Yeah. A large black snail, which really surprised me as well. Black um, snail. Yeah, shades of, shades of the never-ending story. Yeah, there's this yeah, idea no. that the that uh, after you know on November first after Samhain. Um, you were to surrender all the berries over to again. I'm missing four one one connection. The berry picking thing. Exactly. You're to surrender all the. You're to surrender all the berries over to the to the puka, which in this particular region, which I can't remember which part of the country it is off the top of my head, but was was a large black snail known as the puka. <laughs> so yeah, cool. yeah. It doesn't ever say uh, that it, it never ever actually says what its actual shape is. Only that it changes shape in regards to where it's at, which is an aspect of what the Bogart is, which is from the UK, I believe, like more around England or. Well, you know. and that's also, I mean, like something that I found, you know, fascinating. We're talking about my brain's going a hundred different directions. Okay. First of all, I think that there's, you know, there's um, a precedent for this in modern ufology. I mean, especially if you look at what Greg, what Greg's doing uh, with his co-creation idea, the idea that you're bringing something to it and, you know, what you see is what, you know, appeals to you. But secondly, we were talking about how, um, how fairy lore has really infiltrated a lot of our different, uh, our, our culture. People don't realize that another, you know, another term for the Bogart was, was, um, was it. And it 
is what they would call it, and it would be the thing that that you that frightened you the most is what you'd see. Mm-hmm. And it was a type of it was a type of fairy 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 entity, as well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 absolutely startling. The uh, well, you know, a, a the pervasiveness, but you know, you mentioned earlier like different places having different different uh, different uh, lore. I mean, it's it's interesting because you know, as consistent as, as as this stuff is, you also find places as you mentioned as you alluded to where it's like super contradictory. Like, you know, the, the lore from one, from one region will, uh, will completely be a complete 180 degree refutation of, you know, something from another, another location, you know, that's kind of like going back to the whole idea of ufology or the idea of the other, that whatever, like, see, we, this is where our views kind of differ is like, I don't, I don't have a problem believing that some UFOs are perhaps nuts and bolts, I don't have a problem with believing that some of this stuff is real, but there's also the idea that there's something else out there that it's going to change and adapt to do whatever it needs to do to interact with you. So if your thing is fairy folklore, if you really believe in fairies or the legends surrounding them, then this thing can come along and screw with you and just be like, all right, well, you're into fairies. Well, I'm, I'm going to assume the form of a fairy and then I'm going to have my fun with you that way. You're into UFOs. Hey, guess what? Here's here's a UFO. You know, or or, or or conversely, you know, just to uh, just to screw with you is like, oh, you believe in fairies? Well, I'm gonna be a giant terry cloth covered banana. So there. Yeah, and then how? What do you do then? <laughs> I, I I had a conversation yeah. with a giant terry cloth banana last night. What do you you can't tell people that? You know. You too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, buddy. You know, and this, but again, that is also in the nature of fairy folklore to be that trickster element that uh this the this idea of discord to where it's just going to they're the trickster they're going to screw with you they're going to do they're going to what they're going to do what they have to do to have fun with you you know it's like a game for the most part and it's like well yeah you know yeah yeah i mean like the the, the trickster thing i mean it's it's the reason that the fairies inhabit the edge of the forest it's the liminal thing the edge of the forest under bridges mm-hmm. you know twilight and dawn you know, it, you see a lot of the, you know, it's the reason that uh, one of the remedies for exchanging, having your changeling restored as your actual child was to leave it at a place where three rivers met or a place between counties, you know, to abandon it in those spots. Or crossroads. Um, that's that's a, a or, crossroads. Or, was, crossroads, yeah. crossroads is a big one. Shorelines for, you know, coastal cultures is a big one, too. Again, shore shore being a, another liminal zone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, 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 it's it's kind of interesting because I. Again, I don't know if there is any objective reality to what we call fairies. Um, if there is, I'm pretty sure it's not tiny people with tiny coats and tiny shoes. But I think that fairy lore in general can has has described a wealth of paranormal phenomena, and I think it's one of the most underappreciated uh, codifications one of the most underappreciated belief systems in trying to explain a lot of Fortiana um, that we have with us today. Yeah. Cause I, I agree with you hundred percent because so much of mm. it carries over. It's um, I, I firmly believe that people were having these experiences, but that th- that was what their experiences were. Like now, if these experiences were to happen, we would attribute them to ghosts, aliens, demons, you know, UFOs, what have you because that is what our frame of reference is. But if these experiences were happening back then or experiences like this, 
than these experiences that somebody was having would transmogrify or do whatever they had to do to become the legends of the, these fairy folklore legends, because that was what their frame of reference was back then. You know, nobody knew what UFOs were, or flying craft or anything like that were. Nobody knew what Sasquatch was or any of these kinds of phenomena. So the easiest way to explain away strange phenomena was to happen when it happened was to say, yeah, it's the fairies, it's the fey folk messing with us because that is what their point of reference was at the time. So, you know, it, it, and you see this happen throughout history, too. You see it happen in the Bible, you know, like uh, lights on the road to Damascus. Well, that's God mm-hmm. putting lights out there. You know, well, it sounds a lot like a UFO experience to me, but that was what their frame of reference was at the time. Flying chariots, you know, flying flaming chariots or something along those lines. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but... You know. I don't think you are. I mean, you, you look at... Um, so this is something that... I'm giving away the whole new book. It's not even out yet. I'm sure you're not. Um, it's a big book. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> you look at you look at so you look at these deaths that are associated with the missing 411 thing, and then you compare that to uh, examples of uh, what is known as theophany um, throughout history. And theophany is the act of perceiving the divine, uh, especially in the Old Testament. This wasn't this was something that would you know literally kill you um even in uh even in the bhagavad gita um i believe it's krishna um reveals himself to arjuna and arjuna says that his mind is so troubled that he he actually krishna has to take the form of his own avatar um if you look at uh, there's a one uh greek myth which i can't remember the the character but one of zeus's consorts um, is tricked into uh, beholding his, his actual form and ends up, you know, dying. So you look at that, the idea of actually perceiving the other as being something quite dangerous. Um, and I think that's consistent not only with missing 411, but and a lot of times, you know, you know, paranormal study in general. I mean, there, the number of, of, uh, of, you know, UFO researchers who have met with, uh, you know, an incidence of cancer or, you know, some sort of untimely death is actually pretty striking if you really dig down deep into it. Um, and sometimes I think the proximity of these things is not exactly the best thing for your health, which is why I burn frankincense every, you know, six months in my house <laughs> and go around and bless the house as best I can. You know, you smudge it. Uh, I haven't smudged it. You know, um, black I opium black opium. What? Yeah. That's use black opium incense. Oh, okay. Just okay. <laughs> He's not talking about the yeah, dog. No, get some black tar <laughs> opium. Some black, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Just do some opium. You'll be fine. <laughs> I got to ask uh, you, though. Um, did you go to Mabe's burial mound? I did. Well, which one? Because there are a couple. Um, Naknari? I can't pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Naknari. Yeah, That's it. There, there's another one. There's another supposed location in Nakma, which is a which is a fairy woods near Tuam, uh, just north of Galway. And I did go through the uh, the woods at Tuam. I didn't know exactly where to look for the the cairn that supposedly houses Queen Mab's uh, burial mound. So I'm kicking myself for that. But again, like at the same time, I was still in the wood. When one of the like the Nakma woods is one of like the fairy woods that are in in Ireland that are still extant. So I'm not too upset about that because I did go to Nakhnaria. Um which is near uh, Sligo. And it's, uh, <laughs> we got there. Like, so we're, if, if you just, just, just take a look at the map and, and think about us starting the day in Belfast and then going up to County Antrim and then 
getting over to Sligo and and keeping in mind that we had to go south to Galway. Like it was, it was another, which is another like what three hours or whatever. So well, you we went up in, and then roll, down and then back up again. <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 went um up the in one day we went just a little bit up the uh, east coast, all across the north coast, and then like lower than we were on the east coast down the west coast. Um, but uh, we rolled up. We rolled up to Nachnery at about uh, five thirty, and I was under the impression, uh, as I had uh, as I had seen, you know, in a couple of different uh, documentaries, that uh, that you know Queen Mavs burial ground was burial mound rather was uh, you know just right there, you know, in the middle of a field or something. No, it's at the top of a hill. <laughs> Which is a hill built on the top of a hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, now to be fair, I wasn't about to um, wasn't about to climb her her cairn. But uh, that sounds like a metaphor. I'm gonna climb your cairn, girl. Um, but uh, I wasn't about to do that. But you know, we we, we rolled up at like five thirty, and uh, it was you know it was it was I'm like we came all this way. I can't not go up there. And so this was you know it's. It, Probably wouldn't if it was the first thing you did in the day. It wouldn't be that bad of a of a hike. But we had, you know, it's Ireland, so we had climbed about four or five other mountains that day. <laughs> so we were bushed. But uh, we got up there right as the sun was setting, and there was nobody around. Absolutely nobody. Just me and uh, my wife and the sheep and Queen Mab. Um, so as is custom, I added some uh, rocks to her cairn for good luck, and uh, spent some time up there. An incredible view. I would have to say, I would have to say it's the best view that we had on the trip in a, in a country that has so many incredible views. It's probably the best view that we had the entire trip. Hmm. Um, uh, so anyway, it's it completely free. It's like a state, like a state park, but it's like, you know, it's just, it's just a, an open park, um, open 24 seven, which I found striking because, you know, in America they shut it down at, you know, six o'clock or whatever, but this was, uh, yeah, uh, but this was open twenty four seven and was um, it, it was just incredible. And I don't know if it's a tourist destination or not, really. Um, but because everybody that we encountered around there was was from Ireland, but like to get up to it, you had to walk through this like you have to walk along a fence post path about as wide as this desk that I'm sitting at through a cattle field. You know, you had to go through a uh, a kissing gate to get up to the top, and you're like you know sidestepping around sheep crap and cow crap it's the hmm. most irish thing i've ever done in my life most <laughs> irish thing i did on the trip and it was transcendentally amazing like it was just it was one of the highlights of the trip and it was you know zero euro does your wife think <laughs> so, you're out of your mind you know it's interesting um <laughs> yes but not for this reason <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting my wife my my wife is the um is the uh daughter of a baptist preacher who's a good man who has mellowed out a lot, but he was one of the sort of Baptist preacher ilk who talks about, um, you know, I don't think they were allowed to read Harry Potter. Um, so yeah. And, and you know, there was a, a one point where I couldn't even watch horror films with my wife and now she's like doing all this stuff with me and it's open to it. And I've, it's been the most, um, it's been the most striking transformation that I've seen in a person. And she's a real saint to have put up with this but I think part of that's, you know, you know, her, her actually being open to listening to what these things really are. Like, you know, get a cult doesn't mean the devil. 
um, you know, uh, fairies doesn't mean little people. None of this undermines the concept that, you know, there is a sovereign God. Um, If you want to be a Christian and hold some of these beliefs, there are ways of sort of reconciling the two, which is, you know, what I do myself as a Christian. Um, I refer to myself as a weirdo Christian, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we we did an episode with two other on Soraya's show, Where the Road Go, that one night that you weren't there. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I was like, God, why isn't Josh here? (laughs) It's funny. It's funny that you brought this up because we were talking about this on the way to to Nahnari and we were talking about, you know, you know, communing with spirits in a magical sense and, you know, sort of getting spirits to do your things. I said, think of it as like, think of it as being at a company and there's someone in the company, uh, if, if you, if, you know, for the magician who calls upon a spirit to do some sort of bidding for them, um, there's someone in the company who can help you attain your ends. Like they can fudge some numbers. They can, uh, you know, they can, uh, do some cheats. They can do some runarounds and they can, they can help you get what you want. But, if the boss of that company finds out you and the employer are probably both in deep doo doo, you know, <laughs> that's sort of the way that I think about these things. Like mm-hmm. I think that there are entities that have a certain sovereignty, but I think they are all, um, they are all subservient to a, to a greater, to a greater cause or a greater force that's in the universe. Um, and within that, I sort of, you know, plug and mix and match the rest of my cafeteria style Christianity, which is really what Christianity has always been. It's been cafeteria style. It's just a matter of, you know, it's just a matter of whose uh, who's plate you want to hop onto. I need to change the gears for one second, and I want to ask Coach. you, um, and if you don't have an answer for this, this is fine. Did you hear of any higher instances of UFO sightings or high strangeness in these areas of these fairy mounds and these fairy forts that you went to? Was anybody willing to discuss you know, things that they had seen there or do you hear any local experiences? That's a really long question. Um, no, no, no. I, 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 um, I did not. Um, I will say that when I brought up UFOs, um, with, uh, Michael on our tour, he seemed completely unfazed by the fact that I was talking about UFOs and altered states and fairy, you know, fairy folklore in the same breath. Um, I will say that in my own personal research, I've run across, I mean, for example, if you want to talk about UFOs, well, Earth lights or fairy lights would be considered UFOs. You know, yeah. they're unidentified, they're flying in their objects. And in that case, you know, the entire country is littered with them. I did find out that uh, um, Ben Bolden, which is one of the, uh, the it's, it's the, the large mountain in the West and sort of, you know, Yates country, um, has been known for seeing fairy lights, uh, you know, flying up the top of it. And also uh, there at uh, Newgrange, the, the mound that I went to with all the, uh, the uh, megalithic artwork, um, has been known for having fairy lights sighted it as well. I was hoping in my heart of hearts that I would like, you know, when you're out there at a fairy mound in the middle of the night, like you don't necessarily want to run anything into anything too intense. Um, I was hoping in my heart of hearts that, you know, my wife and I would see some sort of anomalous light phenomenon. I think that's the most, like, that's the most, uh, that's the most benign thing that you can hope to see. That's still, you know, anomalous. Uh, but alas, we did not see any. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's something that in, in my research outside of the trip, I have definitely run across. I just didn't necessarily run across anybody on this particular vacation where well, I had, uh, let me ask you this then, since you've already discussed the relationship with your wife and the strange, like me, my wife is not involved with any of the stuff that I do. I, I took her to the Mothman festival last year. And that was my, her first exposure to like, this is my world of weirdness. You know, <laughs> she's like, you people are weird and smell you know like cheese. She, she really you? wasn't that bad about it because for her, it was like, okay, it's a big street fair, blah, 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 blah. 
And we walked around and we saw a bunch of people in, you know, paranormal costumes and Mothman. For her, it was just a big street fair and all that. Had she sat around the pool with me that night talking to everybody, I don't know how she would have been. But, okay, so let's say that you guys went there and you did have some kind of an anomalous light experience. You're already engaged with this kind of stuff. Hearn being an outsider coming in, how do you think she would have reacted? Do you think she would have flipped out or, you know, what do you think, um, you know, what would have happened? With the most profound experiences that I've had, and the, uh, when I talk about profound experiences, I mean um, things that you can't rationalize to yourself. Um, it was a sort of like stay up all night that night, can't stop thinking about it sort of thing because you can't get that toothpaste back into the tube, you know? Um and I think that she probably would have had a night like that um, because it's one thing to be open to these things, but it's another thing to have them you know, slap you in the face. I mean, I, for example, I, on our honeymoon, I was screwing around the last night. We were in the hot tub. Oh, this is sounding like a horrible. That's not the way I'm intending this to sound. Go on. Um, we're listening. <laughs> we continue. We were, we, were in the, we, were, we were in the hot tub uh, in the mountains. Of I North can make Georgia, a special Patreon-only part of the show. <laughs> We were, we were in the hot tub in the mountains of North Georgia, uh, which is, you know, I think there had been a Bigfoot sighting like a couple of days beforehand. And I was just screwing around and doing the, you know, the uh, finding Bigfoot, you know, sound effect. Just yelling across this valley because our hot tub looked across this valley. And of course, you know, I didn't think anything of it. But the next day, um, there was a large rock placed um, very strategically um, beside the tire of my car. And it was in the middle of the driveway. There's no way I missed it driving up at any point. This driveway, yes, it was in a neighborhood, but it was at an incredibly sharp incline, about half of a mile up a driveway. So it would have required a lot of effort to get up there and uh, leave some sort of very ambiguous um, sort of, you know, prank. That's not the prank that you want to pull if you want to think somebody, you know, is if, if you want to think so, make somebody think that Bigfoot's around. Um, the rock couldn't have fallen from anywhere. It couldn't have uh, couldn't have rolled from anywhere, partially because, you know, the only place it could have possibly come from, the, the rocks were all covered in you know, that Georgia red clay, and this was completely clean. So it's almost like something or someone had come up and placed a rock there right beside my tire where I would, you know, if I would, were to have backed out of this driveway, I would have come right over it. So it's almost like, you know, a roadblock or something. And that alone... Um, you know, sort of shook her up a bit uh, and she couldn't stop talking about it. So I can't imagine how something like, uh, uh, you know, an anomalous light would um, sort of cause her to readjust, you know, readjust her paradigm and, you know, try to think about fitting that into everything that she knows that's correct about the world. I think that in her heart of hearts, she knows that, uh, that these things happen because, you know, we've, she's come with me to, she's come with me to move on meetings. We've, I've talked, you know, she sat there across from somebody who seems very earnest and very, you know, upset talking about seeing little people walking along a high tension wire, um, near their house. So she's, she's seen some odd stuff happen and we have a mutual friend who has had some, I need to go over to his house. He's a mutual musician friend of mine who has got some incredible things happening at his house, um, haunting wise. And she obviously doesn't think they're crazy and I don't either, but it's one thing to hear these things. And it's one thing to rationalize it conceptually. And it's another thing to actually have it confront you. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how she, she'd, she'd react. Um, I know that she's strong enough to uh, to be able to work it out, but it might be a rough 24 hours while she does. Would you be playing guidance counselor, I'm sure, at that point? Like, okay, let's talk about this. It's gonna oh, there would be, be some smug I told you so's in there. But, <laughs> oh, um, man. 
but uh, yeah, of, 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 of you know, of course, I'd of course I'd, I'd try to work her out, work it out. You know, and again, like as someone who has wrestled with reconciling this weirdness with their faith, I think that would sort of be part of my part of my you know guide to helping her, helping her, um, helping her you know sort of deal with this and and try to fit her 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 faith and what she literally you know empirically knows about the worldview um in in the one sort of you know consistent consistent uh perception of the way things are hmm. well we've been on here for quite a while um which i had a feeling this would go over because I, as i was saying off the air I, I i never have a chance to talk about this stuff so it's been a lot of fun to be able to just i know about that blah 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 blah, blah and throw it out there but um is there anything that you want to discuss that we haven't had the chance yet Putting you on the spot right now. It would now. be well, well. You know, I sort of talked about this with Tim, but it would be a lot of fun to. Uh, it'll be a lot of fan thought, fan. It'll be a lot of fun to talk about uh, Lip Castle right quick. Oh, go ahead. Um, so I made mention of this this castle, uh, Lip Castle. It's spelled like Leap, um, but it's literally one of the most haunted castles in Ireland um, for two reasons. Number one, or for two primary reasons, or a host of others. But number one, there is an oubliette in the castle, which if anybody knows uh, an oubliette, it's French for the uh, meaning to forget from the word to forget. It's a dungeon that's only accessible through a hole in the ceiling. And uh, when uh, this particular property was purchased, um, it was, uh, it was, I think three truckloads worth of bones that they pulled out of there. Um, and uh, this was adjacent to a spot, to a spot in the tower that is known as the Bloody Chapel because of what <laughs> what went on there. And there was also a uh, a nineteenth uh, century seance that took place in the castle, um, where it's alleged that an elemental was summoned. And this particular elemental actually described in, a, in the uh, the Rimstone Deceit as uh, being sort of short, squat, like. Uh, creature covered in like this wool that smelled like a dead corpse with this skeleton skull face. Um, so the, the castle has like an, a ridiculous amount of stories attached to it. And uh, so I wanted to, wanted to see it because it was right on a direct line from Limerick to, to Dublin. Um, and so we put it in, we were able to find it on, you know, on the, find it on the GPS. I'm like, yes, we should do this. Um, I actually, here's a, here's an aside. I actually did not, uh, visit the Hill of Terra, even though that's something that you would normally associate with fairy lore, because in my mind, the stories of the Tua de Danann, which is sort of a another name for the for the fairy folk in Ireland, I think the Tua de Danann, they, they they the stories feel a little bit more like an ancient civilization rather than the fairy lore that we know that you know continuously exists through the, through today. That's something that Rogan and I can geek out about yeah. <laughs> later, but yeah, that's that's the way that they feel. I don't I don't know if you feel that same way, Rogan, but that's the way that I feel. Yeah, um, I, I can't say I disagree with you. Yeah. <laughs> and Tara was the side of the Tua de Donner, and I'm like, look, let's just go to Leap Castle. Lip Castle. I I wrote about this. This is um, this is you know, this is something that's that I think will be really special on its own. So we found it, and there was no signage, and we there was like a tiny, tiny, tiny little sign out front. No parking, no buses, nothing. And we walk um down the driveway, and on the gatehouse, there's a sign. There's a little like printed out sign stuck in the window that says for castle inquiries, ring doorbell at castle. <laughs> so, so we go down to the, we go down to the castle, you know, another, like, you know, eighth of a mile. And, uh, 
there's this old guy and he's just he's got a big beard and he's feeding his cats and as <laughs> the castle open to the public oh yeah come on in come on in and um incredibly friendly gentleman um we uh, invited us into his castle which he purchased um back in the 1990s and has been dutifully refurbishing it you can find plenty of videos and plenty of ghost hunter episodes of people visiting lip castle leap castle um but for six euro you can come in you can sit by the fireside there will probably be nobody else there and he will talk to you about whatever you want to talk to talk about and the fire is going and if you're if you ask he'll play you a theme on his penny whistle i took a video of it because it was just such a surreal moment and then i'll say well would you like to you know go up the tower and this is after I'd mentioned that I heard about Miss Darby's seance and about, you know, the oubliette. And he, he made reference like he was completely aware of what I was talking about. I don't know how he lives in that space. Um, but uh, he said, you know, head on up the uh, head on up the tower. So we just you head on up the tower. Um, I don't know if this is a big deal over there or not, but there's no way in hell that this guy's light is uh, insured against some of the some of the steps on this uh, up the tower because some of them are pretty wobbly. Um but, uh, you know, for, for a six euro person, you can climb up the tower and take, you know, photographs in the bloody chapel and take photographs of the oubliette, all of which is supposedly like one of the most haunted sites in Ireland because, uh, there are apparently people, neighbors who will call them up and be like, you know, you know, oh, Sean, the, uh, the lights are upstairs again, or, you know, we, we saw the monk again today or, you know, <laughs> so it's just stuff like that. It's stuff like that. You know, it's, 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 it's very much a part of the, uh, the, 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 his life, I guess. But, uh, I mean, this was like what two thirty on a Thursday. So it was not any sort of <laughs> not, nothing anomalous was happening to us. Um, but it was still, just, it was, it was very, there was, you could feel that there was something a bit oppressive about that place. So did, does but he, but it was wonderful. Does he mm-hmm. have frequent interaction with what's going on there? Or does it, is it just like, yeah, whatever, you know? Well, in, in my subsequent, you know, because because what what I had written about in the brim, in the brimstone deceit was stuff that had happened in the past before you did, um, and and subsequently I've gone back and looked at like looked up at his experiences and yeah, this is something that he just lives with on a daily basis. He has a wife and he has a kid who just uh, I believe just moved out. Um, I got the impression she had gone to college, but I didn't really um, press him on that fact. But this is something that he very much just lives with, and he's I think he's just. You talk to people who have lived in those sort of situations, and they they kind of adapt to it, you know. Just 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 like you know, it's almost like <laughs> it's like a null post, and uh, it's a wonderful life. Like it's just a little obnoxious thing that you just end up getting used to, and you know, if you can fix it, if you could, but if you know, it's not high on your priority list. Well, if um, it's not hurting you or anything like that. Right. Know, right. I, don't, I, I don't think there's been anything like, you know, I think that the elemental was frightening and I think there have been many, many frightening things, but I'm not, to my knowledge, no one has actually been hurt by any of the activity there. Again, this is one of those things where I like, I made it very clear that I knew what I was talking about. I made it very clear that I hadn't just, you know, watched ghost hunters or whatever. Um, and he didn't really seem to want to talk about it too much. So that's where I can respect your boundaries. You know, I'm sitting literally in your living room here. Um, I'm not going to, you know, geek out on you about it. Um, <laughs> But it's, but it's, but like, seriously, it's, it's one of the most unsung things in Ireland, uh, that I've, that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are zero buses that come through there because they're not a codified tour. Like it's him in his house and he says, go on upstairs. Here's a flashlight, you know? Hmm. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's something definitely to check out. Yeah. That's what Mick was saying. He's like, he's like, you guys in America, you, you go on your ghost hunts and stuff and you've got stuff that's, you know, maybe a hundred years old or whatever. But he goes, but over here in Ireland, we've got these castles that are just ancient. So he's like, these places have history and they, they have residual and, 
He goes, these, when we go check these places out, there's, there's a lot to them. So there's, there's greater possibilities for these things to happen because it's just so, it's just so old and it's been, it's just part of the land, you know, it's part of everything that's been there. Cause it's been there for so long. Yeah. And it's, um, there's a, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, I completely space on what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, no, 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 exactly what I was going to say. Three, two, one. Um, no, it's interesting because, you know, it's it, the, the, the place is so saturated with history. There is no shortage of, you know, lore seeking ghost bus tour, you know, crap, mm-hmm. which is fine at a certain level. But after a while, you know, as you're chasing that dragon, that doesn't do it for you anymore. You just see that as a giant waste of money. Um, so, you know, I, I remembered my, my wife was talking about, do you want to do that? I'm like, no, we need to you know get into the real stuff. And after you've had an experience like the one that we had in Lip Castle, which, I mean, most of these, most of these, you know, ghost tours and whatnot, you roll up outside the, outside the place, you might get off the bus or whatever, but they'd be like, some people say that you can see a woman in the third floor window looking outside. Okay. Next stop. You know, and they just, you yeah, just and everybody off. stares at the I'm, window. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And nothing Takes pictures. Yeah. Um, and once you've done something like this experience that we had in Lip Castle, where you actually got to like, he would, we probably could have stayed there for, you know, if we didn't have some other places, other things that we want to see, we probably could have stayed there for, you know, an hour and a half. And I don't think he would have really been upset. Um, and once you get that sort of experience, that sort of opportunity, you kind of, that other stuff just doesn't sound that, uh, that interesting. You know, there was, there was a couple that we, one of our first night, actually our very first night there, we, we, we did a, um, a, uh, dinner and folklore telling at the Brazenhead, which is the oldest uh, pub in Ireland. It was founded like in 11 something, which is just stupid old. Um, and it was just a way of sort of like, you know, falling into things. I, pr- I was sure that I wouldn't hear anything that I didn't know. Um, that was mostly true. Um, but uh, there was a couple there that was like, you should really check out the Leprechaun Museum. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. But uh, you know, I sort of outed myself pretty early because the tourist was asking these rhetorical questions and I was answering things like, you know, what's one of the ways that you might protect your child from the fairies? Dress them up as ch- dress them up as girls. <laughs> you know, dress oh, your boys up as girls. He's like, yeah, that's that's right. Well, what <laughs> you do say stuff and I was, I was He's like, like, thanks, asshole. You're ruining yeah, exactly. it for me. <laughs> oh, you're ruining my bet. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's was, the Q&A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I don't know if I, if I learned anything in that particular example, as much as like, I had some stuff, um, some stuff recontextualized, which sort of helped me wrap around some things better. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, if anybody has even a tangential, tangential interest in this, you got to do it. And I was struck by how, I mean, the 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 thing that's going to put you out of pocket the most is going to be um is going to be the airfare. Mm-hmm. Anything else? The lodging if you do the bed and breakfast thing, which I highly recommend because you get an Irish breakfast. Come on, um, was all very affordable. The food was all very affordable, and the attractions were all very affordable. I mean, I think the most that we paid for something was um probably the Guinness tour, which was like I don't know twelve euro or something. And what's funny is. Everybody that I've talked to from there, they all drink Budweiser and stuff. They're all like, "Yeah, Guinness and Bass are crap." Okay, so that's so that's something else. Uh, so like, I've been you know, I've 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 over romanticized this part of the part of the planet for so long that I was just like, every pub is like just this cozy living room that you just want to curl. No, shitty bars are shitty everywhere, and there are shitty bars everywhere in the country. And I was struck by the fact that. Um, 
the fact that, uh, you know, you go to any random bar and just like in America, you're probably not going to find microbrews. You're going to find some, again, amazing. You're going to find the Guinness family. So Guinness and harp. I'm a harp man myself. I actually don't tell anybody. I don't like Guinness. Um, Oops. but, uh, I, um, I, I, you, you'll find Guinness, you'll find Guinness and harp and some of the, some of the Guinness, like, you know, niche products that they've started to put out. And you'll find Coors and Budweiser, and a lot of people, a lot of locals are having Budweisers, and it just I was I was gobsmacked. Of course, now the whiskey selection is you know yeah there there are Irish rednecks <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly there are Irish um, rednecks but, you know, the uh, the um the whiskey selection was you know transcendent, but the the beer selection I was quite surprised to find that there wasn't you know there wasn't uh, America is definitely the place uh, between here and there to to get your craft beer on. Oh God. Yeah. Like my state, like where I live right now, there are five microbreweries within, I'd say a half hour of my house. And then the other thing is, is everybody here, like I make my own beer and mead. I'm a big, I'm a big mead fan. I love making mead, but I love me some mead. yeah, everybody around here, that's actually uh Mabe is actually one of the translations. It's believed that uh, mead is derived from her name. I'm not entirely sure if I subscribe to that or I believe that because um, every it seems like every portion of the world that had mead has their own reason for why it's called mead and what mead is. So, but that's Irish claim that that the Irish claim that yeah, that's where the name mead came from. It came from Mab because she was like, uh, God, what's the story behind it? Now you've got me off on a tangent. Um, I see. I haven't heard this. this is completely new to me. Well, it's 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 proto Celtic is what it is. And the way that they pronounce it, it's, it's spelled M E D U. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it comes out as mead or, or it's translated into uh, medula, which is the word for intoxicating and mead is alcohol. Huh. So, like, well, that would make sense. I, Cause I would assume that, you know, uh, the idea that that queen, the queen of the fairies is beguiling. Yes. Um, exactly. So makes, yeah. And one of the legends behind mead, the honeymoon came from supposedly came from me too. Cause when you got married in those days, Everybody would give you bottles of mead, and the idea was right, so honey. Yeah, every yeah. night you and your wife would drink a bottle of mead until the first full moon, and it was guaranteed for fertility. Actually, what you did is you just got drunk every night and you screwed, you know. And at some point or other, your wife's going to get pregnant. So <laughs> that doesn't really Allegedly. make sense, though. The origin of the word mead. It doesn't. No. Well, everybody's got their own. There's different claims. Hippocrates there. used it exactly. And it's also it's also been attributed to there's an Egypt thing that it's been attributed to. There's a Scandinavian thing that's been attributed. There's a, a Norwegian thing because a lot of people believe that mead came from Norway. And it's not necessarily true because they also they've also found fermented pots for mead in Egypt. They've they found it all over the world. Basically, I think everybody has kind of discovered at the same time because honey is a fermentable, you know, get water in it. It ferments and boom, you've got alcohol. Um Canadians do it with maple syrup, I believe. Uh, there's parts of Canada they they have a drink. It's very similar to me. It's made out of maple syrup, and it's really strong. It's got a bizarre taste to it. So, huh. but every part of the world has their own claim on because mead falls very much into fairy folklore. Um, it's also like that was the drink back then before there was beer. Like I remember growing up playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, hey, and you go into the bar and the bartender gives you a thing of hearty mead, and we'd always be like, "What's mead?" And they go, "Oh, it's beer." So that always kind of stuck with me. And then when I finally got older, um, I, I learned how to brew stuff. And I'm like, I want mead. I want to try this mead shit because I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I kept hearing about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and you read about it in Lord of the Rings and all these fantasy books and stuff. So then I started what's making your, it. What's your favorite commercial mead? 
my favorite one is a company called Bee Nectar Meadery, which is local for me. They're out of Ferndale. Um, okay. I don't know if they sell it up by your parts. The thing is, mead's becoming very popular now. There's meaderies everywhere now because it, it's not hard to make. All you need essentially is honey and water and yeast. And uh, right. before that, there really wasn't a lot of companies that did it. Chancellor's was one of them, and a Camelot was another one. But there, since they were commercial-made meads, they kind of had like um, they kind of taste like diabetic piss. That's the only way I can describe it. Diabetic piss. <laughs> well, oh, so you drink a lot of diabetics piss, do you? So that's that's the way people describe it. But <laughs> I've got, I like right here. I've got three bottles of mead that I've made. One of them is very strong alcohol, very dry, and it's made with um, agave nectar. I've got another one sitting here that I made. that's cherry, which Chuck drank some of them. We were down in down in um. Cincinnati. And then I've got another one here that I just bottled up three days ago, which is cider, raspberry, um, and, and, uh, honey, which doesn't have a lot of honey taste to it. Do you so, get the, um, do you, do you get the, uh, the, uh, Dansk Mjöld up there? I don't think so. The I don't Danish, know. I don't, I don't. Danish Mead Company? I don't, I, I'm, this is going to sound very arrogant of me, but I don't oh, buy geez, a lot of. Don't, oh, don't even, don't even well, finish a statement. Okay. Because fine. I make my own stuff. I don't, I, we don't no, go don't, buy very much store made yeah. stuff. I when buy you, bee nectars because they come yeah. up with such outrageous and crazy flavors. Yeah. Um, you know, they say don't get high on your own supply. That's what I'll, I'll yeah, say. Well, I, I don't drink to get drunk. So, but. <laughs> and you're not doing it right. The, the downside <laughs> is, is that once people discover you make this stuff, like everybody at my work's like, so what? Uh, can I have a bottle of that? You know? So. I'll usually give the yeah. people, like my boss has got a, yeah, they say that. And so then you got like, you know, the alcohol, tobacco and firearms people bugging you for selling alcohol. <laughs> well, I hadn't even thought about so, that, but yeah, you're right. I've yeah. actually made moonshine too. I, I made moonshine for the first time about six months ago. And, uh, that was an experience. I took a uh, pressure cooker that somebody gave me and converted it to my own homemade still and cooked it over an electric element. Cause you use fire, you could blow yourself up. And, yeah. uh, I made, uh, see too, son. Yeah. And it was so, so, so strong. It was like 118 proof or something like that. It, I, it was undrinkable. And then I took a bag of uh, Brock's caramels and I'm just, fuck this. And I threw them into there just to see what happened. And it dissolved the caramel and it gave it a real strong caramel taste, but it was still almost undrinkable. So I had a little left. And then I took a whole bunch of those little, um, you know, those root beer candies that are shaped like root beer barrels. Yeah. I threw a whole bunch of those into the moonshine and it dissolved that. It made this really sweet, like, super strong root berry strong stuff that I ended up giving to somebody from another podcast. But I was like, nah, I ain't doing that again. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. Well, the, the, uh, the idea of making your own moonshine makes me anxious because of making sure you remove the heads and the hearts and getting your, you know, yeah, it's, the, it's true. Stuff that will blind you out of here. Out yeah. Of the well, the first jar that comes out, you got to dump cause that's, that's the heads, which is basically pure acetone. And then you got the mids, which got so much for this podcast. Look where it went. Um, that's the stuff Yay. that's drinkable. And as the more you let it go, the more you let the alcohol evaporate, the more watered down it becomes. So you get to a point where you really can't get too much more out of it. But I did it out of an, of an aluminum pot, and you, you got to really, you really got to use copper because the stuff is so fiercely corrosive. Oh that, yeah, and plus Welcome to get to bootlegging with Rowan Cutch. Yeah, well, it's legal up here. It's legal in Michigan that I know. It's of. legal a lot of places. You just can't, you just can't sell make it. a certain amount. Yeah, exactly. And my still, I, I made it out of a pressure cooker, so the amount of like. I just took a bunch of sugar and a bunch of yeast and threw some corn in there and said, see what happens. And it, and it fermented in a week. And then I dumped it in there and I did the whole thing. And it was a learning experience, but you can tell, like you can, you can sip the stuff that you can't drink, you know, right off the bat, I can't drink that. Or I'm going to die. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, and again, this, my love for brewing and stuff goes back to my growing up reading fairy folklore and, and being involved with Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. Now, 
everybody does it. And going back to the commercial brewery thing, Michigan is a huge state for brewing. You know, you're, there's microbreweries everywhere up here. And I think you know, it's, I, th- I think I think I think east of the Mississippi, it's pretty good overall. Um, yeah. You know, and then there's that like sort of probably that. Well, I don't know. West of the Mississippi, too. I guess I guess it's sort of like big sky country is probably where you don't run into a lot of. No, it's the mid the middle of the United States. You really don't like you start getting around Colorado and California. That's where you start seeing. Yeah. You know, like Sierra, Sierra Nevada, all those companies and stuff start popping up. But it's. You know, once you get like around, I don't know, Iowa or whatever you want to call it, or you know, those mid, those middle countries, the I states, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one of these, yeah, you're one of these the, they're all like I states. It's like we drink Budweiser or Bud Light. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no yeah. Well, well, Wisconsin's holding it down pretty well. Wisconsin, the upper Midwest does a pretty good job. Yeah, but, uh, all around there. The, the, mid, yeah. the mid, the mid Midwest, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit sparse on the ground. Of course, now you're gonna get some. You're gonna get some hate mail, you know that, right? Oh yeah, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, I've yeah, I've had this conversation on other podcasts that are See, nothing like what we do. Now here in Connecticut, it's illegal to make moonshine at all unless you have a federal license. Correct. But in Missouri, you're allowed to make up to a hundred gallons a year. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Yeah. Personal use. Yep. How the fuck are you drinking a hundred gallons a year for personal use? Yeah, I I I made under a gallon, and I was like, I what am I gonna do with this <laughs> stuff? You know, take paint off Dude. of cars? So. Yeah. All right, Joshua, we've really strayed far away from topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, All right, well, there you go. It's OK. You know, it was it was fun just to hear you because we don't we don't have you on here nearly enough. You know, nope. it's we need to have you on here, but you're so extremely busy. It's it's because you've got your own podcast. You got to come on here annually. At least. Oh, no, at, totally. least annually. at least. No, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love talking with you guys. You are. uh you, I, I, I say this to all the pretty girls, but, um, you know, a no project archivist, a project archivist is, I always make sure I catch whatever you guys are doing. So, yeah, we're Thanks. goofballs, <laughs> but we take these topics serious. You know, we might laugh about this stuff, but it, it is of interest. You know, it is, it is neat to talk about this stuff in a different way. So, you know, it's just what we do. But uh, like you've got your own show, you're over with Sarai on Where Do the Road Go. You're you're kind of his uh, most time co-host. I'm not. I haven't caught an episode lately. So I, have you been on there lately, or you've been? Um, I was on there like two or three episodes ago. I'm coming back on Monday night uh, to talk about it. That's um, kind of you your know, residency. I, yeah, I I love it. I just sometimes I've started doing the thing nowadays where it's where it's you know if we're recording because we tend to record really late. Mm-hmm. I, I I tend to say like I know I'm planning to go on tonight, but I'm going to be garbage. Like yeah. I'm going to be like absolutely exhausted. So we should probably wait. Um, but I'm coming on there to do uh to do the uh, my Ireland conversation uh on Monday night is when I'm going to record it. So I'm, I'm I'm trying to be a little bit more uh diligent about uh about about uh getting on there and staying on there uh because you know again like i said before this trip i was not nearly as that sort of hit a little bit of a rut and now i'm really re-energized and jazzed a lot so when when the brimstone deceit came out you were everywhere you were even on mysterious universe you know did you make it on coast to coast yeah, uh, Coast. Actually, uh, it'll be a year ago this Halloween. Coast to Coast is when I was on. And I remember, I mean, when I heard you on Mysterious Universe, I was like, wow, you've you've really arrived. You know, you're you get mentioned all the time. Um, I did an interview over at Charm the Water, which I asked him not to release. But we did talk. We did talk a lot about you over there. And I've heard you brought up and uh, you, you're getting brought up all over the place. Now I think about it. Yeah, that's so. that's the surreal thing is a, is to. 
because I still feel like I'm a consumer of all this media and to hear people talking about you and, you know, talking about you well is, is, um, is still surreal to me. Well, you're, um, you're, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass, but you're a real fresh of breath air into this, that you're, you're taking a lot of different looks at things and you're, you're coming at it from a different angle, which all of this stuff very much needs. Cause I go back to the whole, you know, the whole Tom Delage or whatever the hell his name is thing that's going on right now. There's so much of this stuff. It's just rehashed, repackaged, re-put out there. Re-garbaged. Yeah. Re-garbaged that, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people out there taking fresh looks at this kind of stuff. And I mean, who, who releases a book about smells on paranormal? That's a good book. You know, nobody, it's, it's an odd thing to come out with this, you know, and you know, like this idea that you're doing now of child abductions with fairy folklore and UFOs and stuff, that is a very different, unique angle to come up. And you always manage to come up with unique angles to this stuff and cover it in a very different way. Well, I appreciate it. There's, there's, um, you know, in the new book, it's going to be, there's going to definitely be, uh, some people who get to like the UFO section are like, I know all this stuff. Why are we talking about the hybrid program? Why are we talking? But I think in order to con- really contextualize it and really sort of draw the parallels, I kind of have to tread some old ground. But uh, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to trying to zig when everybody else thought I would zag with this. Everybody thought I'd do sounds next, which I think is I think it's a worthy point of investigation. But it's just there's there's just it's such a huge data set. You know, I don't even know where to begin with it because most cases feature some sort of sound oh yeah um, buzzing buzzing is a big prominent one I believe. yeah yeah i mean like i think if you're gonna do it you'd almost have to just do it as like the buzz the book you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to do all sorts of sounds um uh, or you know like you know anomalous music the book which sort of ties into fairy lore as well well but, there's a, um, yeah there's a lot about fairy folklore and music for sure but uh so, so the idea with this new book is that it's it's going to be something very different than the last two while at the same time you know sort of touching on subjects known last two. I'm, I'm interested to see how, how people, what people think of it. Um, it's different, but you know, you got to push yourself, try something different. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, tell people about where they can find your books, anywhere they can find you, you know, what you got anything you want to go out and pimp out there, go right ahead. Well, if you can find my book at an independent bookseller, all the better. So more power to you. But if you can't, um, then just hop on over to anomalous, anomalous, um, uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's both, both available there in a variety of hardcover paperback, Kindle and other e-reader formats. Both books are, um, and you can find my blog, which is currently ill-maintained, but should be looking a lot better now that I've finished this third book, um, over at joshuacutchen.com. If nothing else, it's a good place to find uh, all my interviews, which I try to keep up to date, so you can listen to me for like a year and a half straight. So <laughs> if you really want to, if you're, if you're that much of a glutton for punishment. Do fairies really wear boots? <laughs> you have no idea. I'm wow. talking about wow. You know, there's, there's, um, there's a... Uh... Do Keebler elves make good cookies? <laughs> We had to see. I was going to give you a serious answer about the booth thing. But... Yes, please do yes, because ahead. it's an awesome song. <laughs> um, no, uh, the, the uh, there's plenty of of uh, of of um. And we derailed him. Yeah, you derailed me. There's there's plenty of of artifacts that are supposedly fairy artifacts that you'll find in in museums around Scotland where you know there are tiny little fairy shoes and fairy fairy jackets, fairy vests, fairy flags. Um, but uh, no, no keyboard cookies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, Josh, we're going to uh, let you go. A pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah, always fun to talk to you. We really need Thanks, to do Josh. them often, man. Absolutely. Anytime. Take care. I mean that. 
So that was the return of Kutch after how many times has he been on here? It's it's been a while since he's been on here. Mm-hmm. Two Not years? enough. Two years? I don't yeah, know. It's, it it's been be a while. Yeah, because he was on here for a Trojan Feast, and then he came out with yep. Brimstone Deceit, and we never had him on for that. Well, and then this time around, he knew you know, pretty much that I was really into the fairy stuff. Plus, he's been listening to the show, and he knew what we were talking about. Again, we said that already. Mm-hmm. And that went long. That went a lot longer. I knew it was going to go long, but I didn't think it was going to go that long, you know? And sure. It's funny listening to him because you could tell he was wound up. Like you could hear it in his voice. He had a little flutter in his voice, and he's just like, "He was me when I'm on another podcast, basically." (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to tell him, like, "Dude, calm down. It's okay. You're smoking joint. Relax. You know, smoke a joint." But I think he just had so much that he wanted to tell that he wanted to make sure he got it all out. Is what it was. You know, because he's he's been on our show, he's been on Tim's show, and I think that's it. So even his own podcast, he's going to be by the time he gets there, he'll have been talking this stuff three times now. So, um, I don't know if I should put the outtakes at the end of this or not. He said I could. He said I could. So yeah, there's going to be some outtakes after after the music at the closing of the show that are pretty interesting because we. <laughs> We took a very brief break there. I, right now, I have not edited the show yet, so I'm not sure how the edit for the brief break that we took um, is going to fit together. But I left the recorder going while everybody ran off, and you said you did sing. And then yep. when I came back, you were gone. But I've got audio. I've got obscure, strange audio of Josh. Um, his bathroom habits. Yeah. <laughs> so I can put it. <laughs> So if you want to hear some weird stuff, hang around for after the music, because I'm, I'm going to put them into the show, I think, because Josh said that we could. <laughs> so, Josh, if you're listening, yes, I'm going to put them there. <laughs> Sad trombone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's it. I think uh, we've got the Halloween show coming up next. And yep. um, one of these two weekends we're going to take off. I just don't know mm-hmm. exactly which one. I don't know if we're going to be off next weekend or I kind of want to be off the weekend of Halloween itself. Because uh, that's a Saturday the 28th, I believe. Is it? Yeah. When's the 20th? Okay, 23rd is Monday. Okay. Yeah. That's the wife's birthday. So Halloween's on a Tuesday this year. Yeah, it is. So I might mm. just, we might just record the Halloween show next week. And then, um, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I know I'm one sure of these, we will. One of these Saturdays I have to take off. So I'll probably run a best of or something like that. But the show, mm-hmm. the folder for the Halloween show is, is filling up quite nicely. Cool. As is the fast food show and the cannibalism show is coming along yeah. pretty well. So. so I still want to know if that Jameson story is real. I need to do some more research on that. If I'm not, gonna, it's a hell of a story. Well, I'm going to include that one. That's the one that Aaron found on the Facebook Six page. handkerchiefs. Yeah. Six handkerchiefs, dude. Man, really? Well, we're going to save that one for the cannibalism show, but I think that I don't know if it's true or not, so when we cover that story, we'll cover that with a caveat of that. Well, we'll so, I'll have some research before then. Yeah, we might have to find a different, shorter version of the story, too. Well, you still read so, it. It's, you know, it's good stuff. We're but... um, going real meta here. <laughs> yeah, well, mm-hmm. fourth wall's breaking down. Exactly. We have no fourth wall. No. Anyways, um, we've been talking for hours now. I'm beat, Yep. and uh, I'm going to call it good. I've got nothing witty to close the show out with, so this is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. A mini moon pie is only 110 calories, so a whole box is fun. Um, have you tried the peanut butter Twinkies yet? The chocolate covered peanut butter Twinkies. They're not good. No, not they're horrible. They're good frozen. 
And the pumpkin spice ones. Ooh, no, Kevin Myers, too. you bastard. The you freaking gave me one of those, and I didn't know, and I bit into it. My tongue was numb for an hour. The red velvet ones are really good. Those are good. Yeah, Did you see good. that on, on Facebook? You had to have saw it when me and Lisa were doing the double X spicy hot noodle challenge. Yep. Where I just about exploded because of the heat yep. from it. Yep. Yeah. Go out and find these ramen noodles that are called 2X Spicy Noodles. Go on YouTube, do a search for 2X Spicy Noodles, watch the video. If you can find them in your area. They're as hot as the stuff I used to use. And you can either, if you can't find them in your area, you can get them off of Amazon. They are incredibly hot. Like we had a local guy. They're 12 bucks a pack on Amazon though, aren't they? No, I think it's 12 bucks for a five pack, which is pretty expensive. Like around here, the local Asian market sells them for much cheaper, but they're limited edition. But if you really want to torture yourself and you think you're a badass, get some of these noodles, cook them. (laughs) Drain them out. Don't put any water in there. Put the sauce packet in there and put the other spicy packet in there. I defy Mm. you to eat these things. They are, it took three of us to eat one package of them. And three? Yeah. It was me, Lisa, and her husband. And um, the video was. Oh, that was only one package? That was only one package. Now, there's people that the challenge is, God, we're getting way off track here. This is how we close the show out, folks. The, The challenge is you're supposed to eat all five packs in five minutes. Um, <laughs> See, I don't. I know people that are called curry monsters. They this, literally eat stuff that when it's cooked, the people have to wear like a freaking gas mask when they're cooking it. Uh huh. That's how hot the stuff. It's like getting hit in the face with like mustard gas. We prepped. And these guys eat it. Whew. We prepped by putting lip balm on our lips because it burns your lips. Yeah, so I saw bad. that. Yeah, you had I to put saw lip balm. You doing on. that? Um, by the time I was done eating these, my tongue was so cooked from eating these things. The first bite that I took, it was instantaneously. Which one is it? Is it the two X spicy hot? Two X spicy chicken. Two X spicy chicken hot. Did you find it? Ten ninety seven. Yeah. For a five pack? Yeah. No, no, it's Um, a five pack. It's probably a five pack. I don't see them as individual packs. Oh, it's one point five five pounds. So it's got to be a yeah. It's a five pack. Packed. Um, but if you really, if you want to be, if you want to do something stupid with hot food, because we've got a guy around here. Um, he's one of our listeners and he's got a local paranormal organization, but he, he pulled me out on Facebook and he actually ate the stuff and then he got some extremely hot, spicy hot sauce and poured it on top of it. And I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you trying to prove? You know, <laughs> Eric no, dude, Biggs, that's for one package. That's a five pack is 1999. That's absurd. There's cheaper. You can find cheaper because oh, I can cow, find that's prime. Yeah. That's, that's absurd. You can find them for cheaper. That if that's the case, I'm gonna mail you. If you'll eat them, I'll mail you some. If you'll videotape yourself eating them, yeah, you know what'll happen? Yeah. I'll leave it in the. I'll, I won't get around to it, and then one of my kids will end up in the hospital. No, I ain't gonna put them in the hospital, but they won't eat it again. No, if, you, if you'll eat <laughs> a pack, I'll mail you some because I've got a package okay. I got to send okay. you anyways. Because uh, I can, you know what I probably, you know what I probably will. I'll send you a package because I got I got some stuff I got to mail you that I picked up down at Mothman for you for your birthday. So I I Is might it just real Mothman. No, it's. They're cool. They're neat. You're gonna like them when you get them. They're cool. Mm, I picked them up. Moth man. So, all right, we're done. We're out. Peace, folks. Are we really? Yes, we're done. Bye, bye. I don't know.
Uh, Actually, um, guys, can I take a quick bathroom break? Yeah, go right ahead. Actually, okay, that's not right a bad back. idea. I'm going to go do that myself. Ley lines. We're going to talk about ley lines right. when we get back because right. I do have something to talk about ley lines. Yeah, I, right. I do have myself. So, Lobo, you're on your own. We'll be right back. Okay. We're going to go to the bathroom together. <laughs> I'm going to go get a drink. That's disturbing. He's got a white Chester. Sir, have an amazing microphone. Okay, sugar tits. <laughs> you, sir, have an amazing microphone. Who, me, sir? Yes. It is so amazing that uh, I have audio of you pissing. Nice. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Do you hear me singing Brandy? I heard you singing well, Brandy. Yes. That's a nice. fine girl. What a good wife up, like, you would be. I've been waking up at four fucking o'clock and I've been seeing that in my head. It's been like, I can't get rid of it. I cannot get rid of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you missed it, Lobo. I got complete audio. Josh pissing and singing Brandy at the same time. Nice. Wait a minute. It was you. Had, that thing was running. Yeah, it was running the whole time.